Welcome back, everybody, to the third intermission podcast. We are on episode four. And, you know, with me, as always, I got the crew with me. My line mates, as, as, as I like to call it. So, uh, you know, why don't you guys uh, say something right now? I got Dave with me on the left wing. What's good? What's good? Scoring bare goals. I'm scoring <laughs> bare goals tonight, man. And I, and, I got, and I got my speedy, my speedy ringer on the other side. Well, we actually... Go ahead, go ahead. We're missing a goalie. We're missing a goalie. I'm the backup goalie today. So Nah man, you're the winger, bro. What do you mean? Yo, you're you're all Pavel right. Berg, you're Timo Stolani, you're all of that, bro. You hey, mean? say less. Yo, stop Nadal, playing, Korea, you name it. McGinley, I you name it. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> What's good? Walk exactly, walk. exactly. And then and then, you know, our fourth our fourth member of the team right now, he's 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 unofficially the mayor of Scarborough, so you have to do some mayoral duties. So you won't be joining, <laughs> be joining us this evening, but you know, shout out to him as always. You know, I know he'll be Gordon Zen Fleet. Next episode. So, what's going on, fellas? What's, what's up? What's up? You know, it's, it's, the weather is shitty up here in Toronto. Yes, but, it um, is. But we move. So, but what's going yes. on with you guys? You guys all good? Man, Yo, good. Yeah, I mean, I'm good. I mean, outside of outside of uh, the puck and everything, I'm kind of heartbroken that our resident our resident Mafuzi chef. Decided to go up and leave to that dumpster fire called the Los Angeles Clippers. And yeah, I can tell. I saw them tweets, man, bro. Like, what did Steve Ballmer ever do to you, fam? Jesus. Yo, <laughs> yo, the man, yo, the man straight up stole our our best player, and then straight up stole apparently what most Toronto gal them feel is the most attractive player in on the fucking team. And I'm like, the hell? Like, yo, <laughs> is this man trying to replicate our roster from like two years ago because he can't win a championship? Like, like yo, so as he talks, record. I can feel his spit ten thousand miles away. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> like yo, yeah, ice ass boy. What do you think I went off like I did, man? Yo, the mat, yo, it brings new meaning to the word Microsoft guy. Man, <laughs> <laughs> now listen, man. Big ups to Serge Ibaka. We wish him all the best in LA, man. I hope he's successful. But we still love our rap the same way. You know what I mean? Of course. Absolutely. That's true. I was gonna say Serge has a has a player option for next year. So if if for some divine miracle Clippers get a bounce out in the first round by Denver, hopefully, um Kawhi and Serge may come are back. Are you are you predicting that the Clippers and Nuggets are gonna play in the first round? You never know. I mean I predict like they won't win in the finals. They won't win the finals. <laughs> oh, they definitely won't. You know, Kawhi, Kawhi, and Serge are probably coming back home. Watch. <laughs> so a couple, of, a couple, a couple of church announcements for 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 our for our listenership. Um, we are now up on Apple Podcasts, so you know, just hey. should be there. Also, make sure you guys follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Third INT. What is it again? Just to make sure. I don't want to get it wrong. At third I-N-T-T-O. Uh, we're up on Spotify. We're up on Apple Podcasts, as Darren just said. We are also up and running on Twitter, so we, you can send us bear nudes if you if you want to. Uh, bear nudes. Dude, please please no, do not send don't. us nudes. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do Dave that. Dave is a wild boy. Please do not send us nudes. <laughs> However, you can send us your hockey hot takes, particularly about the Leafs, and yeah, we could we could argue about all those things. You know? Whenever yeah. you want to. Nudes Whenever is a negative. Nudes <laughs> is a negative and will get you blocked, okay? <laughs> all right, all right. I feel that. I feel immediately. that. Immediately. Yes. Uh, right, we so. also have a link tree set up where you can actually get all our links all at once. 
we finally got everything a little bit more organized. Um, if you want something a little more visual or you want pictures or you want, like, say, the little icons where it's like, oh, okay, here's your Facebook, here's your Twitter. Uh, we're kind of working on that right now. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, lots of th- no, listen, there's a lot of things percolating in the background. And mm-hmm. we're just trying to get content, content out, out to you guys as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Um, you guys want to? You guys want to mention your your personal Twitters, or you just want everybody to kind of permeate through the the uh, podcast account? Well, I mean, I could use some more people to talk to. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love. Um, I love. Dave, Dave, re- Dave loves to talk, man. So you guys. I do love to it. talk. I, I like. I agree with that. So follow me at Dave's Barnett. Um, I'm a huge wrestling fan. Huge Leafs fan, huge Raptors fan. I'm also a Scorpio. Please don't hate on me. Uh, let's go. <laughs> no, we need Scorpio gang for life, fam. Yo, it is Scorpio season. Scorpio season forever. I Man, don't want to hear about that. Shout out my cancers, bro. Cancer season. <laughs> <laughs> Intellectuals. <Yo. laughs> I mean, we got love for y'all, but like, yo, like, it, it, you gotta, you gotta keep it real here. It's Scorpio season forever, dog. <laughs> I mean, the man tells no lies. <laughs> All right, so gentlemen, so as you guys know, the new season is coming up, as it usually often does, and you know, there's a few, there's a few things that they still have to work out. The the, the National Hockey League still hasn't um, worked out a schedule yet, as well as possible division alignments for this um, for this uh, you know weird season, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys what do you guys think about I don't know if you guys have heard about the four possible divisions. So they, they are East, South Central, West, and the Canadian division. And mm-hmm. yeah, it seems one. like it's a set in stone now. Yeah, yeah, like so that that's four divisions. And then I saw something else about five divisions and the Atlantic, Metro, Central, Pacific, and Canadian division. So mm-hmm. which one of those would you guys prefer? Starting I'd with go Reese. with well. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> Reese. <I'll go> <laughs> I prefer anything that's favorable for the Leafs, and it looks like with – it looks – you know, I, I think the NHL wants to minimize travel during a pandemic. Um, right. I think they're somewhat cognizant of cutting costs, uh, so maybe it's a little more expensive and a little more airfare to have, you know, maybe the Leafs find a way to fly out to San Jose or, you know, make that California road trip. And I think ultimately with the Canadian division, it's going to kind of uh, maybe accelerate the process of – ending this COVID thing a little bit with just keeping Canadian teams in Canada for the time being. And I, I, I don't know if the NHL has left some like um, ad lib or, you know, flexibility with their schedule as we get more information on COVID. But me personally, just as a Leafs fan and, you know, we're covering the Leafs here, anything that's advantageous to the Leafs. Uh, they've been in a juggernaut Atlantic division for the last three, four years here where, you know, Tampa, Boston, and then Montreal is knocking on the door. Florida uh, has, has probably gotten a little better. Ottawa has made a lot of it, man. Jeez. Yeah, and I and Ottawa has got a lot of young talent. It's only a matter of time for that young talent to to be NHL ready and uh, you know be a little bit of a headache. So it's just it's going to be nice going up against the Oilers, you know, the Flames, Vancouver um, teams that have you know quite a bit of flaws on them versus going up against Boston four to six times a year, Tampa four to six times a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with you there, Dave. What are you thinking? Um, honestly, I'd go with the former in that situation. I mean, I I like the whole four division, four divisions for for the entire league. Um, I wouldn't, 
I wouldn't really mess with like having a fifth division where it's like you have your Atlantic, your Central, your Pacific, your your Metro, and then your and then of course you have your Canadian. So obviously, I'm just gonna piggyback off of uh, Reese's point here. Yes, I, anything that's anything that's great for the Leafs, I'm all for it. Um, give given given the nature of how things are going on up here, um, it's it's best to I guess have a little home cooking for a while and then start traveling to other cities when of course COVID gets off its bullshit and decides to, you know, let us like travel over to the States and, you know, dummy teams there and make new fans out there. Probably get a few, probably get a few brothers and sisters out there just watching the games too. You know what I mean? And I I wasn't expecting, I was expecting you to be like, yo, we're going to slap all mans in the division because the Leafs are clearly the most talented roster in the Canadian. Oh no 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 no! Like, don't get it <laughs> twisted. I I do feel that way, and I will definitely feel that way. But obviously, I do have to kind of keep mild and mild mannered. You know, like yeah, go from oh, like definitely. Clark, go from like Clark Kent to Superman when it comes. to <laughs> Yo, by the way, side note: Did you see that dude uh, on Twitter the other day when he uh, he was dressed up in a Winnipeg Jets jersey and he was in downtown Toronto and he and he had a sign that says. Patrick Liney is better than Austin Matthews. Um, I, yeah. All I have to say is um, we do not support clowns. I mean, clowns belong in the circus. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about that. Yo, who let him in? You yeah. don't even go here, bro. What do you mean? It's, what do you say? Exactly. It, it, it's crazy. I'm focused on the debate of Austin Matthews versus the Nathan McKinnons, the, right? you know, uh, the Connor McDavid's of the world. How, how, how do we get our boy to knock on that top three center conversation? I haven't worried about that Connor line. Free Exactly. Free Conor McDavid, as always. You yeah, know, shout I'm out sorry. McDavid. Pa- Patrick Patrick Line does not belong in the same conversation. As that Austin conversation Matthews. ended their, that rookie man. deal. That rookie year. That conversation ended their rookie year. Like it, Line exactly. is, bro. It ended when Austin Matthews scored four fucking goals in the, his first. Yeah, game. absolutely. Yeah. And Line, and problem right now within his career, I think ultimately he's going to be a really good high end hockey player, but the. He's a really good power play scorer. We can't even say he's a good scorer all around because he doesn't really score five on five. Uh, he's piss poor in his own end. He doesn't really uh, thread the needle and transition play neutral zone play. So at this point, it's still we're living off of, OK, he's a power play demon and specialist and he has high draft pedigree. But that draft was four years ago, you know, mm-hmm. so it, it's, it's only a matter of time. And, and my thing is, would the Leafs ever consider moving Austin Matthews? No. Well, Patrick Laine has been in trade rumors for the last, you know, year and a half, two years. So uh, I, I just don't think that that's a conversation I'm willing to have any further. Well, well we, we set our piece here. That's uh, egregious. I, I'm worried about Matthews McKinnon is the, the debate that I've been seeing on Twitter lately. And uh, that's a little more uh, fair to our guy. Oh, free Nathan, McKinnon, either, uh, free Nathan McKinnon too. Well, he's got a good situation there, so uh, yeah, no, I don't no, think no. he wants to go. Unless, he, unless he, wants. he wants to come, unless he wants to come to Toronto. Yeah, I'm all about that. Yeah, well, of why course. Do you, why do you think I said that in the first place? <laughs> True. Free them if they're coming to Toronto. If they're coming to Toronto, but we just, but Connor McDavid just needs to get out of Edmonton. That's all. Trust but, um, me. Yeah. Um, sorry, sorry to go off on a little tangent there. That that shit really annoyed me, and I I wanted <laughs> to flip the tape. Like I don't know if you saw when I retweeted and I just put a bunch of question marks. Like I was so mad, 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 confused. I so said I th- something worse because, like, I wanted to just say, like, yo, if somebody sees him, just donate a FOS to him. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it is it is the Christmas season, right? So, like, yo, we gotta be in a given. Men's are giving out FOS, so <laughs> there's just there's just something about 
there's something about opposing uh, NHL fans on Twitter that just find joy in trying to piss off Leaf fans, and I try not to get involved there, you know, uh, playing the pig pen, as they like to say, you know. Um, mm-hmm. They're always going to find something to say. They're going to call us chokers, but it, it'll be like the teams that don't make the NHL, you know, NHL playoffs or don't sniff it. They don't have any talent. You have Montreal Canadiens fans that last year they were saying Max Domi is better than this and this. And well, they trade him. And now it's uh, Josh Anderson is this and this or Edmonton Oilers saying, you know, Matthews can't play defense. Well, that you know, McDavid's the best player in the world and he can't play defense. So I just I, I, I don't engage, you know. When it's all said and done, I like our chances. I like where we stand. We got some work to do, but um, uh, I like our chances at, at a Stanley Cup um, rather than some of these other, especially Canadian. Uh, yeah, especially, especially, especially in this temporary uh, division alignment. Like, I, I really they know what's that. up. Yeah, exactly. They were giving us a hard time. You know, you see Boston, you see Tampa on the road. Those are tough places to play, and they're high skilled. Uh, it's going to be different when you got Vancouver, you know, uh, twice in a week, or you, you got Edmonton and uh, – and, and the Flames and some of these, you know, no offense, shitty teams uh, flawed one way or the other. So um, yeah. especially yeah. those West Coast uh, Canadian teams, I look forward to us beating up on them just because piss poor goaltending. Uh, yeah. yeah, And they got their own question marks, uh, whether it be defense. And I don't think that they, you know, can carry a candle with how the Leafs just have high scoring depth all around it, you know, at that top six position. So, yeah. And, and speaking of West Coast teams, um, do you think it's advantageous uh, for the teams that are in the West Coast, like given that, you know, you mentioned earlier about the logistics of traveling during a pandemic, um, for those teams that they wouldn't have to come back East uh, as much. So, you, you know, your, your San Jose's, your, your, your LA Kings, your, uh, your Anaheim Ducks, like those teams won't have to come out East that much, which in my opinion, I think it's harder to come for West Coast teams to come East than it is for East Coast teams to go West. Mm-hmm. So do you do you guys think like that will play a factor in how well some of these teams perform? Yeah, to an extent, you know, um, if you were to look at the math of it all, home versus away, uh, there's usually maybe a, a percent or two edge to the home team. Uh, it's nice to have that routine. You're a little more well rested, a little more well fed. Um, yeah. You're with your family Sleep, and whatnot. Sleeping in your you own know, bed, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sleeping in your own bed. There's a psychological uh, advantage to it and a, a slight physical. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the science behind that. Um, but ultimately, how I see it is the cream rises, you know, the the, the good cream the is going to rise to the, rises the, the to top. The top. Oh, to yeah. the top. That's the saying, right? So, and I just think from a talent perspective, even coaching perspective, uh, depth perspective, I, I, I just, I like how the Leafs, have made some moves this offseason. I think they'll be able to handle some of the uncertainties of, you know, and we're seeing this with the NFL and then to an extent the NBA bubble. Uh, bubble ball or NFL pandemic ball is a little different where you don't know who's yeah, going to be much. injured. You don't, yeah, the, it, you, they might not get the full offseason, a full training camp situation. Uh, so what you want to lean on is skill. And uh, yeah. I just like our top end skill at the top two uh, forward lines and at that top pairing, finally, the top two pairings now uh, relative to some of these other teams. And then at the same time, whether you like him or not, come playoff time, Freddie Anderson um, has a track record of 60 games, 65 games a year where he's going to give you a 918, 920 save percentage. And it, the Flames have their own question marks at goaltending. Edmonton for sure do. Vancouver uh, do. So a uh, little bit of shuffling, almost intra uh 
Western Canada uh, changes within their goaltending, and uh, some of them have traded off a little bit. So, but I just I like the stability with the Leafs. It's going to be a full Sheldon Keefe year, and uh, they can yeah, that's use a, their that's talent. A, as a yeah, touch. that's one thing. That's one thing that's being overlooked and not talked about enough. I think is that Sheldon Keefe's getting a full year with this with this squad. And, mm-hmm. you know, we see, we've seen the things that Sheldon Keefe was able to accomplish with the Marlies, obviously winning a championship with them. And then, you know, the, and the guys seem to like him, right? Like the, the best players on the team seem to like him and that, and that kind of permeates through the whole locker room. As well mm-hmm. as, you know, this team meshing together and getting guys to, to you know, keep, keep his, uh, his philosophies and his system um, consistent throughout an entire season, but also integrating the newer guys and the, and the veterans – on that team, like Wayne Simmons and uh, and uh, Bogosian and uh, Brody, uh, Brody, TJ Brody, and stuff like that. So, uh, did, did I say Bogosian or Bogosian? Yeah, well, you said Bogosian, so like we got you, we're good. Yeah, 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 yeah. you know what I mean. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Joe Thornton as well, right? And they still have Yo, yeah. So like, so so guys like that will help will help uh, the team really really come together, and I, and I really hope and pray and i really think that this can put them over the top yeah and no, the one thing with sheldon keith is uh this is his first year what where the the toolbox is a little more filled up here there's and, a lot and he's more a brampton options. man yo. and he's a brampton man. oh shout out brampton, man. <laughs> <laughs> except tristan thompson Oh, no, God. No, 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 all Brampton except TT. Yo, let's focus on what we're doing here right now, man. Like, yo, don't get me started on Brampton. Anyway, yeah, anyways. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, just you want to give Sheldon Keefe, especially towards the end of the season and going into the playoffs and how it's a little bit of a chess match, depending on what matchup situations are, you want to have as many options as possible. So you can go into the depth chart and get maybe a smaller guy, but with, with some skill and sandpaper like Joey Anderson, you picked up, uh, you can move Joe Thornton up and down the lineup uh, yep. and potentially within a power mm-hmm. play slot. So you got that option or you can have them hold down one of the third or fourth lines. The, yeah. Now that uh, they've bolstered up the lineup a little bit, maybe Kerfoot can be in his more natural center position. Um, because there's more options to move up the wing in the event of an injury, say last year losing uh, Mikhaev. So uh, just giving him a, a plethora of options uh, that can be matchup contingent, can be uh, whether there's injuries, and you know we, we'll have to expect that injuries will be a play and a factor here just because of the nature of COVID professional sports, less of a uh, an off-season uh, training, get your body right, less of a training camp. Um, and I, I think guys will come in anxious, ready to play, Especially those teams that didn't get into the into the playoffs or uh, the, that round robin, uh, they're ready to go. They're going to be balls to the wall, and uh, uh, we we can't expect it to be clean puck the whole way. Yeah, yeah, and I also think I also think the the veterans. One thing I forgot to mention earlier is that you know the Stanley Cup is probably the hardest trophy in sports to win, in my opinion, anyways. Um, as mm-hmm. far as Absolutely. Sports, as far as team sports goes, because it's a grueling season. I, I I actually think that the NHL has too many regular season games, but that's an opinion for another pod. But I um, agree. I think uh, the playoffs is just long and grueling and grinding. And I think guys like uh, Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons, Jason Spezza, those guys have been in the league for a long time. So I think those guys will be there to kind of uplift the team when, you know, it's, uh, you know, when situations seem bleak and, seem you know the guys are tired guys are injured and battered those are the guys that you need to kind of 
you know, give the teams that extra oomph to 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 keep persevering and keep wanting to pursue. Absolutely. That. Well, you're definitely going to need that veteran presence in the locker room, right? Oh, like, for sure, because those those every... young guys, they, yeah, because those young guys will can, can. It's easy for them. I feel like if you if they haven't been in that situation, because these, these this group of guys hasn't been like the core team hasn't been past the first round yet, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So once you get to that first second round and like you've played fourteen grueling games against the same you know same two opponents, it gets really 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 like tiring and all those things. But you know the best the, the only the strong survive and you know the 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 best veteran presence usually is is the teams that are most successful and how i see it with the veteran leadership ultimately veteran leadership is effective if the leadership can play and they can play at a high level exactly. so when you add and when you add a wayne simmons it's a low risk high reward in which maybe his game is tailed off a little bit but kyle dubas himself said it this will be the first time where he'll be fully healthy he'll be with the leafs medical staff right. which you can make an argument mlsc they do it right when it comes to uh taking care of their players health and being a little more advanced than the rest of the league mm-hmm. joe thornton is another one who the underlying analytics love him even though the point total might have fallen off a little bit he still drives play at a high level and that's you you want your veteran leadership actually be able to make plays otherwise you risk the young kid saying oh whoa whoa who's this you know, old, old head telling me what to do. He can't even move anymore. He can't right, even, you know, right, right, so right, uh, right. especially in today's era where you, you have social media, you have media telling you your God's gift to earth. So who's an old guy, you know, if he can't play or if he's right. not well seasoned, and has a, has some type of pedigree to him. So I think the Leafs were selective in getting some veterans that are reliable. That will be reliable in both ends of the, both ends of the ice. Um, and, and they can play and they can move up and down the lineup. So uh, I, I, we can bring up the Patrick Marlowe signing uh, his first year or so. He was really effective, made a lot of sense. But then maybe the voice, your voice, you know, loosens or weakens a little bit as your tail, your your play tails off a little bit. So right. uh, it's good to just get guys in. TJ Brody is a signing that I'm really excited about. Good locker room guy. And he's still young enough at 30, 30, I think 30 or 31, that you're going to get. Prime, pro- bro. Still in his prime. Yeah, still Jeez. in his prime. Uh, and you're going to get productive top four play. They still have Jake Muzzin. And ultimately, though, I think Kyle Dubas is looking at these young guys that you're not rookies or year two anymore. We're looking at the Nylanders, the Matthews, the Marners. This is year four, uh, year, year three, year four, year five for some of these, you know, some of these guys. So ultimately, you want them to be the leadership, too. You want Austin Matthews to be a vocal presence. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's definitely time to show and prove for these guys, man. They can't, you can't, you can't keep saying that they're young, they're young, they're young, they're young. Like, yeah, absolutely, and and I will say this about playoff hockey in general. Uh, sometimes playoff hockey uh, favors some teams rather than others. The game slows down. The refs don't call the game as fairly or as regularly as they would. Yeah. Uh, and and other teams, those slower defensive teams, those trap teams, take a little more liberties. You see how Boston has. Uh, been a, a headache made, for the Leafs. You saw they've Columbus. They made a damn near a dynasty of that shit. The last it, ex- exactly. <laughs> they so you're thinking all you want to do is you you want to accumulate as much skill as possible and give yourself as many chances as possible. And uh, the young guys they'll they'll toughen up a little bit. You know uh, the skin gets a little tougher as you get more runs at it. Yep. And Washington had to go through it. Pittsburgh, even though they won really early, didn't see that cup again for another five six years. And yep. then won it again. So it, it's the just players on the planet. So. Absolutely, and and I think the Leafs 
the young talent, they're, they're getting older. They're getting stronger. They're going to figure it out. Austin Matthews, I remember a couple years ago, didn't have a good playoff uh, when the Leafs lost to Boston in seven that first time, uh, and I believe uh, 2017. And he, he heard all the chirps. Uh, he heard what media said. He's not a, a pressure performer and whatnot. And then the following year comes in, has five goals in seven games. And then this year versus Columbus is really good. So I'm looking for Nylander and Marner to, to be those type of guys now. So, Dave, it's so their, Dave you, you, sorry, sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. No. Uh, yeah, that, that was the point. Oh, okay, my bad. Um, so, Dave, you, do you think the Leafs uh, can make a run at this or what? Um, and if so, and if so, like – what would be what would be their ceiling and what would be like a disaster? Uh me personally, I just go off and say, like, yo, Leafs are winning the whole goddamn thing. I mean, I'm in a business nobody. <laughs> but let's let's be a little analytical here for a second. Um obviously Joe Thornton's playing in Switzerland right now. Um, I believe it's Switzerland, and he's having one of the best seasons he's uh, he's ever had in a long time, just to make sure he stays in game shape for when he comes to Toronto. And I feel like that's a very integral part of what he's doing. Uh, also, like he, he's creating a lot of plays and he's showing a lot of veteran leadership uh, with what with what he's doing overseas right now. And Joe I, Thornton doing Joe Thornton things exactly. And I feel like it's a very, very integral, if not very significant, significant piece as to what the Leafs locker room really needs. Um, I feel like this team should be able to mesh together, uh, given give uh, give or take a few games. I mean, like obviously, like you do need a couple preseason games just to figure your stuff out and see what lines work together, what lines don't work together. Obviously, I would like to see the Mitch, uh, sorry, the Marner, Matthews, and Nylander line c- come back together again. But obviously, that probably might be broken up at some point during the season. Um, maybe throw like Simmons, Simmons, Marner, and maybe maybe somebody different like maybe Engvall on on the same line see if that works uh throw Thornton on a line with Matthews see if that works um, absolutely and, yeah or like or say yeah they got, yeah, they got like, a lot of options man and I yeah think, and it's like the depth the depth on the offensive line is a real crapshoot because it's like you have 13 of so who I feel like are some of the strongest goal scorers um of course we have a great top six and Matthews, Marner, Nylander, uh, also uh, Tavares. I almost forgot about Tavares. I'm so sorry. Um, about Tavares. Yeah, shout out the captain. Of course. Um, and then also we have like Thornton in the lineup as well. And I feel like that these are some very great additions. To the, well, we have some great additions as well on on defense with uh, TJ Brody and Zach Bogosian, of course. Bogosian coming, coming out of a Stanley Cup win with Tampa Bay. And I feel as if he he's that he might be that small cog that we need in order to bolster our defensive line because obviously yeah well the it, defense has been the problem right exactly because it's like he, like you can have great offense and you can have great goaltending but like you cannot win uh, you cannot win a cup without defense at all and I think exactly. that's a very very like a very like oblivious point that the Leafs may not have really figured out uh, but I hope they kind of just really honed in on it. Uh, obviously, Kyle Clifford was a great addition, but he went to go sign with Edmonton. And, I mean, I do wish him the best, but I kind of wish he stayed with the Leafs. Um, also, losing Jake Gardner, I, I mean, I do get into pure arguments about this, but, like, Jake Gardner was actually one of the Leafs' best defensemen, bar none. I mean, yes, 
He made some stupid rookie plays. He was, but, he was, but I think I think his biggest problem was consistency. Yeah, and obviously like Morgan Riley's been the only consistent uh, defenseman over the last like three four years. Easily, Un- unfortunate. Yeah, like, I, I think the thing with Jake Gardner is, um, mm-hmm. and maybe a lot of Leafs players will find themselves in this uh, little battle with narrative when it comes to media and how they're perceived as hockey players. Mm-hmm. Jake Gardner is a fantastic top four defenseman in mm-hmm. his tenure with the Leafs was a good two way player was good in his own end was good moving the puck up, uh, up the neutral zone and was good at preventing uh, pucks to get through the neutral zone uh, and holding up the line. He had a lot of talent, but mm-hmm. when you, when you play in high leverage situations and you continue to have the puck on your stick at all times, which with the Leafs defensemen, we're not used to. I, I don't think the Leafs had, up until this point, have had four defensemen you were comfortable with. So yeah. when you have two defensemen you're comfortable with, and one is a high pedigree, high point Morgan Riley who can do no wrong, and mm-hmm. your only other real solid defenseman is Jake Gardner, who has the puck damn near the whole time he's on the ice, a mistake gets magnified. So that turnover, and sometimes it came at the most inopportune times, like Boston, and, and it sucks, but I remember the Boston series in 2013, he was arguably the best player on the ice. Yeah. Now, I remember that Washington series is arguably our best defenseman on the ice, bar none. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, so, and, so, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so, like, um, I, I think with the, with the thing with the Leafs is they, I think they have made an effort to get better defensively. They used draft picks on Timothy Lilligren, who there's expectation he'll make the NHL at some point. Erasmus Sandin, who people think is going to be a really good defenseman in the NHL and has already had his cups of coffee right out of his uh, D plus one year. Uh, and now you got Bogosian there as well. You have uh, uh, Lectinen that they signed, who's arguably the best defenseman in the KHL. And now you got Zach Bogosian, who th- those are going to be four or five defensemen fighting for one NHL spot, uh, mm-hmm. starting lineup spot and that seventh spot, because the first five is set in line. You have Morgan Riley, Jake Muzzin, TJ Brody, Justin Hole, who's been a revelation, and if they make a trade for a defenseman, maybe you don't find out that Justin Hole is an everyday defenseman who's good in that second pairing as a shutdown guy who can yeah. move the puck up a little bit. And then you have Travis Dermott, who has been lights out as a third-pairing defenseman and a little bit of mixed results when he's up high in the lineup, but you know that there's potential that he's going to, at the very least, be a dependable second-pairing defenseman with maybe some higher upside. The jury's out on him, but at the very least, you feel very comfortable at that five spot. So all of a sudden, your depth got better. And now you have Zach Bogosian, Rasmus Sandin, Timothy Lilligren. You have Lectinen, and and Lord knows who. There's a couple other young kids that the Leafs are high on, um, like uh, uh, Hallwell and whatnot, that uh, maybe get their cups of coffee in the NHL. So improving the depth is key. It's it's risk mitigation for when there's injuries. Maybe those road trips, uh, I don't know how that's going to work out throughout the regular season schedule where you might want to bring eight defensemen with you instead of seven and rotate guys in to keep them fresh. Now you're giving um, Sheldon Keefe a lot more options. Maybe tonight you're playing against the Red Wings. You want to play a high skill, move the puck up type game. And then next game you have Boston, which might be a tough game. Grind it out. You want someone like Zach Bogosian, good penalty killer. Maybe you're going to limit his minutes. Um, and whatnot. And then also Sheldon Keefe is not afraid to tinker with the idea of running 11 forward 70. So another guy that keeps, it'll keep the defenseman fresh. You can maybe be a little more specialized on the power play and PK. Uh, and then you just run your, your, uh, top guys, uh, to the ground at, at the forward core. Yeah. 
So I just give it a little more options to Keith. <laughs> that, 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 that's one of them there. Good problems, right? Yeah. So, so being the elder statesman of this group, I'm probably the oldest. I am the oldest one of all four of us, even older than Stick. Shout out to him. But um, <laughs> I wanted to talk about like some of the some of the few successes of of the Leafs in the past. So you know we're talking about like the Stanley Cup runs that I remember watching as a kid uh, from '93, '94. And then as I got a little bit older, they had a little one in 99. And then the last memorable run they had was in 2002. Oh, yes. So you guys may have, been, may have been a little bit too young to remember the 93 Stanley Cup, uh, Stanley Cup Finals, uh, Conference Finals run. But Reese remember, maybe, but... I'm like, pissed I wasn't even alive. Yeah. Bro, listen to me. Like I was... that, that, that year was so much fun because mm-hmm. the Leafs had like a young upstart goaltender named Felix Potman. Shout out to him. Yo. Um, they had Dougie Gilmore who was one, one of the most underrated centermen in, in, in Leafs history and in NHL history. They had um, Uncle Wendell as well. Uncle Wendell Clark, who was Mr. Toronto Maple Leafs. I see that guy yep. I see that guy all the time. But then they had this guy named Dave Andrewchuk, left winger. Andrewchuk's a stud. Yeah, stud, trust big me. Big dude. He used to score a shit ton of goals. And then they had like a lot of depth with like Sylvain Lefebvre. Uh, Nikolai Borshevsky, uh, mm-hmm. Jamie oh. McCowan, all those guys that were that were really good. And they ended up making a little run um, in 93. Them. So in the Honestly, first round... I was yeah, going to go say, Cliff Fletcher really really compiled a great team that year. Yeah, I'm, he did. I'm he not going to lie. Like, and like with Pat Burns behind the bench, like that would... Like, had had we gone to the cup final that year, that would have been a great matchup. Like literally... Listen, man, he, listen, like, and, and just because that uh, just because the eighties was such a disaster for the for this franchise that the fact that they were able to turn it around in the in the early nineties and be competitive again and like the craziest thing about that particular period of time is that the Blue Jays at the time had just won their first World Series as and they were the first Canadian team to win it and then the the Maple Leafs were going on on were becoming an elite team within in, in their respective league. I think so you also do... have to understand that, like, uh, like Harold Ballard passing away was also a, a very beneficial thing for the Leafs too. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, will... Listen, rest in peace. But it was a blessing in disguise, and then it was yeah, sold to the Ontario Teachers Pension. Yep, yeah. yep. We'll yep, dive into yep. that one at some point. But like, honestly, uh, Harold Ballard's passing uh, really did help the Leafs and it kind of lifted a dark cloud over the, over the team. So right, because he was basically a dictator over the team, right? And, and he cared about absolutely. Cared that about was an that's margin. an understatement, man. <laughs> he cared about profit margins yeah. over anything else, and not yeah. And you, not, you never want to speak ill of the dead, but uh, shitty owner. Yeah, rest, yeah, rest yeah. the re, re, yeah. That's all I got <laughs> he, because he, I, he I'm, I'm trying be, to bite my tongue. I'm trying to bite my tongue. No, no, it is what it is, bro. <laughs> he might be he might be under under like. You know, six feet under. No, no. It's just my problem is, oh yeah, but just my problem is, as a Leafs fan, we continuously get reminded of 1967 by some of these other NHL fan bases, like for example, Islanders fans that feasted on the 80s. The era nobody nobody gives a shit about 80s hockey. Oh yeah, I mean, (laughs) like just. I feel like there's Whoa. some people that might disagree, but like, yeah, man, yo, yo you can't tell an Orioles fan that nobody gives a shit about '80s hockey. I, exactly. I'll tell them to their face. I don't. <laughs> I, I like where hockey's at right now. Skill, speed. Yeah, me. Like, I'm born in '94. I did grow up on uh, some of those old Don Cherry Rock'em Sock'em tapes. Is out of touch old guy. We can. I don't want to get into the politics of the guy, but I do like tough hockey that is affiliated with. And uh, working 
intertwined with speed and skill, scoring mm-hmm. goals. I like high score games. I didn't I like watching that. guys' heads ble- bleed on the ice unless it was Wendell Clark doing it to people. <laughs> you know, it, it, that, that was all right with me. You know, yeah, um, so, the, so that '93 run in the first round, the the mm-hmm. Police pulled off one of the biggest uh, upsets in playoff history when yeah. they defeated the Red Wings, and that shit yes. was crazy. I remember, I remember screaming so loud, like, you know, my mom telling me to go to bed, and I'm just trying to watch the shit, and and you know, screaming so loud when when uh, who was it? Mike Felino scored that goal, I believe it was. Like that, no, that, it was um, it was a tip off of Borshevsky. Borshevsky, yes, yes, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. It was uh, Nikolai Borshevsky scored the goal in yeah. Game Seven, and the, one of the lasting images is the Leafs team celebrating, jumping off the bench, and uh, the uh, the um, the equipment manager who's still there, by the way, Brian Papineau, squeezing yep. the uh, the water bottle, water as as if what it was a guy, like, yeah, it was amazing, it was amazing, and you know that game in particular. That whole series, first of all, was was a big shock for everybody, including mm-hmm. the Red Wings, who at that point um, was kind of like the beginning of their reputation of being chokers up until they won the Cup in 97. But yeah. that team, they were always consistently good. But th- for some reason, the Leafs just had their number in that series. And it was it was one of the most gratifying series victories I'd ever seen in my history mm-hmm. of sports. But, uh, I mean, there that- are there are a few honorable mentions in that in, in that entire playoff run but i think you're probably gonna yeah, get into that yeah. well as far as yeah like as far as leafs for me that one was more gratifying and it also kind of lifted like a huge weight off my shoulders because yeah i felt like if they beat detroit that year and mm-hmm. they could they could beat anybody you know what i mean yeah so mm-hmm. you know like just the way that they were able to to overcome their their own division rivals that year, yeah, of course that time it's still called the norris division mm-hmm. and you know they made the day the Red Wings had more points to them, finished second, and the Leafs were able to overcome that. So that was that was amazing. And it then, really was. Yeah, and then in the second round they had they had uh, uh, the St. Louis Blues, Curtis Joseph was, and the St. Louis Cur- Blues. Yeah, Curtis Joseph, Brett Hall, and those guys. Um, that series was highly, highly, highly entertaining. Um, other than Game Seven, I'd probably say Game One of that series when Doug Gilmer did the wraparound goal to to to, to win that game. That was that was. One of the most exciting games to watch. It was a beauty. It was a beauty. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it on YouTube, but like I've that goal, that goal is actually like one of the most iconic goals in Leafs history. In Leafs about. history, yeah, exactly. One one of my favorite uh, highlights from that era, um, and this was on Doug Gilmore's retirement night. It might have been eight years ago, nine years ago, um, mm-hmm. and they put the video on the big board uh, with just some riveting like orchestra music, just of like his. Biggest hits, greatest goals, greatest playmaking, him being put on his ass and coming up, coming back up and making a play. And it's, it's on YouTube, like Doug Gilmore CBC tribute. And it's just like, Listen, wow, Doug my Gil- parents blew it. Have me having me born in 94. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, but like, yo, Doug Gilmore, like, you know, with his half tucked jersey and, and, you know, his teeth missing and all that shit. Doug Gilmore was the quintessential hockey player. I don't know any kid. Who was a Leafs fan in that era that didn't adore? I wouldn't mm-hmm. even say love, like adore Doug Gilmore at that point. Like yeah. everybody in Toronto was a huge Doug Gilmore fan. Uh, you know, it's crazy. crazy. I remember when he came back uh, in 2003, and yeah. when he came back, we're like, we're gonna win the cup. We got Sundin, <laughs> we got Doug Gilmore, and then that first game, like his second or third shift, blows his knee out, and it's <laughs> yeah. it's Kurt. Yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, oh, by that time the wheels fell off, man. But, yeah, um, you know, the, the Maple Leafs were were you know as I said we we're talking about 
the series against St. Louis, they were able to win that series in seven games. I think that that series went a lot longer than it should have. Yeah. Louis that year only ended up with 85 points and the Leafs on paper and we're just better. But that that goes to show you that the playoff margins in the NHL are just that small and anything could happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the big series after that was the conference finals where they made up against uh, Wayne, Wayne Gretzky and the Los Angeles Kings, who, you know, had a mediocre season that year, uh, you know, kind of squeaked into the playoffs, only had 88 points. Mm-hmm. And weren't looked at as any type of threat other than the fact that they had the greatest hockey player of all time on that team. They also had one of the biggest bruisers in the like in the game, too, when Marty yeah, McSorley. Yeah, Marty McSorley. Um, also, Luke Robitaille was on that team. Rob Blake was on that team. Yeah. Uh, Sandstrom was on that team, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that team wasn't really that good. Like, Kelly Rudy, was was he a good goal? He was okay. Like He was okay, he was, but, like, honestly, yeah. like, the fact that he was still standing on his head – for most of most of that uh, most of that series was kind of just insane. Yeah, 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 exactly. And for him, and the rest of the team, you know, they got they had Barry Melrose as their coach. This guy had the mullet. You know what I'm saying? Shout out Barry. Business <laughs> in the front, party in the back. Yo, right? That man, that man had the coolest hair in the NHL at that time. Man, that man looked like he looked like he was like a dirty sports agent or something like that. <laughs> he just. <laughs> He just uh, he just had the hair on, on, on wet all the time. You know what I mean? You know what's crazy? My memory of Barry Melrose, uh, since I wasn't um, alive to enjoy uh, his coaching when he was with, I believe, the Kings, uh, he was first as an ESPN analyst, uh, ESPN hockey analyst. So I used to watch him in the mornings before school. And then all of a sudden, on some random shit, Tampa win- wins the lottery. They get Steven Stamkos. He gets hired. And he's just shitting on Steven Stamkos. Yeah, he's not ready. He's not ready for the NHL. He's too skinny. He's too small. Doesn't play defense. Hey, I'll play him more if he proves it. And then the moment he gets fired, like they have just an atrocious start. They have Vinny LeCavier still. I think he's still on that team. Um, and they just got Stamkos. Like they're they're bad, but they're not that bad. And they just they're still in last place. So they fire him. Steven Stamkos gets moved up to the top six, and all of a sudden he just starts scoring a bunch of goals and finishes <laughs> off with 26 in his rookie year. That's my Barry Mullins memory. But he had great hair, so none of that. Um, the hair is amazing. <laughs> just slick, slick back mullet, you know, gelled up. Just you know, uh, you it. can't even see the gel, but you know it's gelled up. So that's it. So one of the things about that that Leafs King series. Um, the Kings were actually pretty upset with the Leafs uh, because of an incident that happened earlier in the season where um, Doug Gilmore actually slashed Thomas Sandstrom uh, across his arm, breaking his arm and, and sidelining Sandstrom for over a month. Um, the, and Don Cherry was actually one of the um, one of the instigators of, of, of their anger because he was kind of, of course. saying that, you know, you know, you know how uh, uh Don Cherry feels about European players and you know he likes calling them soft and all these things mm-hmm. and, he, and he actually said that he deserved it what Doug Gilmer had done to him so the the LA Kings were kind of carrying that chip on their shoulder coming into that series and you know they they were able to to grind it out and you know despite being down 3-2 going to LA for game six you know where listen the most infamous non-call in Leafs history happened in that in that game with with Wayne Gretzky's fanning out a shot high sticking Doug Gilmore but the the referee didn't see it 
and uh, you know, Gary Fraser. Ever oh, since then, nice. it's been a it's been a Gary Fraser hate account. And the, the first thing I knew about hockey was, yeah, that ref. We don't like him. We don't like him. Right? <laughs> we don't like it, Terry Fraser. If he's repping against the Leafs, boo him. Yeah, always, always. But um, sorry. So game six, Terry Fraser missed a high stick against Doug Gilmore. The Leafs should have won that series. Unfortunately, it didn't go that way. Then in game seven, back at Maple Leaf Gardens, the uh, first of all, Wayne Gretzky probably played, and even he said it probably played the single greatest game of his life. He ended up scoring a hat trick, including the overtime game winner. Coming around on a on a on a wraparound and hitting the puck off Dave Ellett's skate, going back past Felix Potman, broke my heart. I cried like a baby that night. And I actually met Wayne in 2016, and I actually told him I'm still mad about. Um, <laughs> what did he say to you? He was just he just laughed. He just laughed it off, and he's like, "Man, I'm sorry, man. I had to do it." But I was like, "Yeah, you know, you." And I'm like, yeah, "You man. had to do it." No, you like, did it. Yeah, yeah, no, you did it, man. You could have, you could have, you could, you could have just loud us for a little bit, man. And I was like, "Yeah, you see how you scum." But I, he he was nice <laughs> enough to give me a picture. He was nice <laughs> enough to, give, uh, to give me a picture, anyways. But he, not only did he deny the Leafs making the finals, he denied like what could have been the greatest modern final of all time. Toronto and Montreal would have been beautiful, man. Toronto Montreal would have been great. And I really think pound for pound on that on paper, the Maple Leafs team was way better than the Montreal. Oh, we would have beat their ass. They would have beat their ass. <laughs> it would have it would have set oh, Twitter man. debates. It would have ended these Twitter debates 30 years before Twitter became a thing. Man, I'm telling you. For bro. good. What I will say is this though, like um honestly, like and this is coming from an objective point of view and I am a massive Leafs fan. We no showed in Game Seven, and I will say that straight up because it was like they came up. They came out very, very flat. Yeah, extremely flat. Yeah, like on, honestly, honestly, we like we came like we came out just like like dead, and we only scored like what one goal in that entire game. Or in Game Game Seven? Yeah, I think it ended five four. No, like there was like a late rally five four, but the Leafs didn't score in the whole first period, and. They they ended they came out of the first three down two nothing which you know if you're game seven at home you can't be going down two nothing yeah and like that's kind of just like you're literally it's literally a winner winner basically stay your ass home type of situation with that's exactly with, what it is not even basically that's yeah and with a with a trip to the cup on the line and when you kind of just basically lay an egg well proverbially lay an egg on the ice like that it's kind of just like really is this what is this what you've been fighting for like i understand you got screwed the last game but like you just take you just take your lumps you get up and move on and like all of a sudden like gretzky starts going off uh, gretzky starts going off and then like king's defense and the king's offense just literally just start lighting us up for nobody like no particular reason lighting us up as if we were getting beaten by a uh, beaten by our parents with a fucking wooden spoon <laughs> but like it, it got to the point where it was just like yo like, what are we doing here? You know? Yeah. That that run, though, still, for me personally, that still remains my favorite um, mm-hmm. cup run. Yeah. Just because uh, Game 7 aside, they, they played really well up until that point, and it was just the excitement and every 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 shot that they took, every shot that was taken against them felt like it was a roller coaster ride. Yeah. And I have been pining for that feeling ever since. Even even though the very next year they made a, a, a conference finals run again, um, this time they did a realignment of the of the conferences, so the Leafs move over to the Western Conference, and uh, yeah, it was it it was exciting, but not it was a very flat ending. Yes, and 
completely anticlimactic <laughs> as opposed to the year prior. But the '94 con- uh, conference final run was was still pretty exciting. What do you what do you think about it, Dave? Because I know Reese was too young to remember this one. Uh, the '94 run was actually really sweet because it was like we had ran into an upstart team uh, in San Jose. Of course, um, Leafs were down. Leafs were down three two, and had they not won an overtime in Game Six, it would have basically had ended their season right then and there. Um, that run, and San Jose was still pretty. It was still a fairly new team at the time. Yeah, but like the fact that they had literally made the playoffs in like just maybe like one two years of existence, it was like it was yeah. kind of crazy. Like, like comparing the, comparing the San Jose Sharks to like the the Vegas Golden Knights of like literally two three years is like it's kind of like a similar comparison in the situation. Of course, we still yeah. had the same roster. We still had the same roster in '94, uh, barring a few pieces like literally either going away through trades. Or literally leaving to different teams of free agency, but um, obviously, yeah. Like I remember, I remember early in that season, the, the the Rangers were preparing for a run, and they traded for Glenn Anderson. Yeah, because um, the Rangers were basically trying to rebuild their their Oilers dynasty, so they traded for Glenn Anderson, who was on the lease for for Mike Gartner, mm-hmm. who was the speedy speedy right winger. So. So that, that was, like, one of the biggest trades of that season, and it really helped the Rangers. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Bill. All good. Um, honestly, I feel like that was their best game of the entire run. Then again, there are some different viewpoints uh, to that. Now, if you have seen the 94 run, please combat me on Twitter or educate me on Twitter so at least I can understand it a little bit better and I can go literally take my days off and watch the entire run without maybe coffee or anything else. But <laughs> <laughs> so the cra- the crazy thing about that run too is you know in the first round they 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 pretty much handled the the Chicago Blackhawks pretty easily in six mm-hmm. games. Yeah. But then they kind of struggled with as you mentioned with the with the San Jose Sharks. Yeah. And then they ran into a red red hot steamrolling hot Vancouver Canucks team. Yo, which, Kirk McLean was on his A game that entire listen, series. Man, despite so despite me being a diehard Leafs fan, my yeah. favorite non-least player of all time is Pavel Bure. And it's yes. because of this run that he became my favorite player. Like that guy was unbelievable in the first series against Calgary, which was a huge upset. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vancouver being the seventh seed and Calgary being the two seed. And then they went on to beat Dallas in five games. And then they met up with the Maple Leafs. So going into that season, sorry, going to that series rather, mm-hmm. um, I, I was very, very confident because I was like, well, they beat San Jose. And I don't think Vancouver has enough uh, has enough depth to keep up with with them uh, through a seven game series. And boy, was I wrong! Oh, that first, <laughs> I remember the Leafs winning the first game, and I was like, "Yeah, that that was cool, but it didn't really feel convincing." You know what I mean? You know when mm-hmm. you know when those games are a little too close for comfort, uh-huh. and you're like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't, li- I don't like the way the the, the Leafs uh, won this game, despite getting two goals from from Scarborough man Peter Zessel." Um, I feel like something's never changed. Yeah. Right. Scarborough man, Peter Zezel won the game in overtime for them. And I remember coming out of that game, feeling nervous, despite them winning, winning the series. Well, sorry, winning that game. Mm-hmm. The second game was just, you know, Pavel Bray opened up the scoring and it was just, you know, didn't go very well from there. They didn't get a lot of offensive output from their forwards mm-hmm. and the defense. The defense, like Dimitri Miranov scored two goals and Dave Ellis scored the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, once I saw them lead, lose game two at Maple Leaf Gardens, I knew the team was in trouble. Yeah. That's when I knew the team was in trouble. And when the series shifted to Vancouver, like, we got slapped up. Shut we up. We got slapped up hard. Row. Two games in a row. They, I know. 
in those two games, the Vancouver Canucks outscored the Leafs six nothing. Like that, that can't happen in a conference final. No, like, of course not. not. But like when you run into not, a hot team, what can run. you do? What can you legitimately right, exactly. do in situations like that? Like, and like obviously, Vancouver was just just too much on fire because, like I said, yep. Kirk McLean was like one of their best goaltenders. Greg Adams was a great scorer. Pavel Bure was yep. like basically lighting bare mans up like it was nobody's business. And it was just right. like you know what, Vancouver was basically the team of destiny in the Western Conference that year. Yep, yep. Um, and they ended up, you know, beating the Leafs four one. Like I said, it was it was a very fun run. Mm-hmm. For lack of a better phrase, but it was very anticlimactic because yeah. after that first game, I did not feel confident about it at all. I know, like, like Felix Potvin, like I, I felt bad for him during that uh, during that uh, cup run because it was like he was actually one of the best goaltenders the Leafs have, the Leafs have ever had. Um, yeah, I mean, barring, definitely one of my favorites for sure. I mean, barring a few notable names like Eddie Shack, Terry Sawchuk, and of course uh, Johnny Bauer. Um, I feel like Felix definitely deserved a cup with the Leafs. And you know what? Like, he was the, one of the only few bright spots in that series against Vancouver. Uh, yeah. Barring, like, of course, bad defensive play by bad defensive play by the Leafs, like, literally just letting Vancouver just I, th- I, th- I think it was the offense. Yeah, I think it was the offense. Whether it was the Vancouver's defensive strategy, mm-hmm. and, you know, at the time they were coached by the great uh, Pat Quinn, um, who's who's always been a great, great, great uh, tactician. Oh, easily. Easily. So yeah, his methods his methods were always were always effective in, in, mm-hmm. in getting the most out of out of players even when they might not have been had the most skill. Mm-hmm. So I think it was the least offensive anything that 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 kind of you know the the, the wheels fell off in that series. And That's that, true, and that that was ultimately their demise. You want to know what the craziest thing about that season was? What our greatest captain had actually played his first full season with the Leafs that year. You know who I'm talking about. Matt Sundy. Yep. What, what, Shout out, Matt's man. Like, was that no? I don't think he was on the team. I think he got traded the year after. Well, he was traded yeah, the year. yeah. Was it ninety five or ninety six? Because the yeah. Leafs had two years in a row where they made the conference finals. Oh, okay, One I, like, was the I, I seven games, and they lost in five. Too far ahead. I'm sorry. It's all good. No, it's all good. It's all good. It's all yeah, good. then they were bad the following year. Like they <laughs> yeah, had those two bad. cup runs, then, but the magic was kind of gone. Didn't then that's when they. I think that next year anyway. And like ninety five. Uh, was, was it Vancouver? Was it Vancouver, was it Vancouver in five? No, was it, Vancouver in five? Yeah, we lost in the, to Vancouver in five, and then like in ninety five, we faced the Blackhawks in the first round. Was that the Blackhawks? Yeah, and, and we like yeah, Eddie they lost to the Blackhawks in the first round. And like Eddie Eddie Belfour, who happened to be a Leaf goaltender, like down the road, we're gonna get into that shortly. Um, he was like he was playing for the Blackhawks at one point, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was. He was. That's where, I first, that's, ex, that's where I first uh, knew of Eddie Belfort was, was playing for the Chicago Blackhawks. So mm-hmm. I was really excited when. Think he about if, yeah, think about if J.R. Smith was a hockey goalie and like an All Star. That's Eddie <laughs> Belfort. <in the> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great and sound then, bites. Was turning up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Speaking of, and then sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say, speaking of Mats, though. Um, Maybe we should start talking about the 99 run really quickly. That's it. So the 99 run is probably my second favorite run. Just because, uh, you know, the team, that was the team that I literally watched, like, get assembled, more or less. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had great depth. 
as you mentioned earlier, our boy Bat Sundin, best mm-hmm. forward in Leafs history. Mm-hmm. So I'm calling it right now, even though that's probably not right. The GOAT! <laughs> I, know, I, <laughs> I know some of the old heads will probably, will probably uh, wag, my, wag their fingers in my face when I tell them. Oh, that'd be the yeah. nicest thing they do. <laughs> yeah, Matt Sundin is my GOAT, man, as far as Leafs go. Easily. So, Matt Sundin led by, by him, and then uh, you had other guys on the team and other, mm-hmm. other players. First round, they played against the Philadelphia Flyers. It was a real physical series, very, very physical, led by the Legion of Doom. And that first line, that first line was Eric Eric Lindros, John LeClaire, and Michael Renberg. And the Leafs were Shout able out to, Renberg, too. Yeah, man. And the Leafs were able to uh, overcome them in six games. Yo, my and favorite was, moment in that series was, like, Ty Domi literally squirting that water bottle on that fan and... And was the, it that series? Yeah, it was. No, that series. I think no, that was. That, I think that was. Wait, was that not after like in the two thousands? Because that was a big deal. Like, yeah, that was. They were, I think that was like oh four or something like that. Nah, nah, it had what? to have been ninety nine because like yo, Tidomi was a Tidomi was a pest that year. Oh well, he's a pest every year. Yeah, but like, <laughs> nah, he, nah, he was a legitimate pest in Philadelphia. I'm like, yo. yeah, I feel like I saw him last week antagonizing somebody, man. Like, that oh, of course, yeah, it's just an attack. An antagonizer professionally, like you know what I mean. So, sorry, go ahead, Dave. I was gonna say, like, uh, there there have been times where, like, I, I actually met him once, and like, he's a really nice guy. You think like he'd be like this really tough, rude ass dude, and then next thing you know, it's like you'll see him order like a bowl of like the weirdest ice cream possible. He actually came to my restaurant and like uh, the restaurant I was working at in Oakville back in two thousand and seven. Shout out to Alice Fazuli's before it called it's called Scatterbush now, but fucking. <laughs> Homeboy came in at like 10.30 at night when we were closing up and this man had like this big ass bowl of like tutti frutti ice cream. So it was like raspberry sorbet, <laughs> uh, blackberry what? sorbet and orange sorbet. It was fucking nuts. It's like all my coworkers were like, yo, Ty Dolby's eating like the fruitiest ice cream you'll ever see. And it's like, you think like a tough guy will get like the roughest thing you could get and it's like the guy's a big softie like rocky road ice cream chucky <laughs> <laughs> chocolate chip yo, yo, like, yo that's what's hot in the streets fam ice cream bro <laughs> what you mean yo, ice, ice cream is something that never ages bro trust me that's true but like honestly like yo it was one of those things you would not expect at all and it's just like the fuck <laughs> Yeah. I will be getting ice cream after this recording. <laughs> so that 99 playoff run was very, very odd in the sense that the fourth seed, eight seed, six seed, seven seed had actually advanced from the first round. So most of the higher seeds had lost. The Leafs were actually the only higher seed to win in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, so they beat the Philadelphia Flyers in six games. Then they had a grueling six-game series with the against the Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh Penguins. That game only went six six games, but it felt like it was like nine games. It really was yeah. because, like, obviously, <laughs> like had Mario had Mario Lemieux literally been in, in like injected into that series, like like the Leafs probably wouldn't have completely won. Completely different series. Yeah, yeah Leafs completely probably completely wouldn't have won that series or like literally gotten out in seven. But the fact that right. like Gary, whoa, 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 old Mario got to go up against Prime Sunday. <laughs> oh, no, 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 Mario's still Mario, fam. That, yeah, yo, no, okay, that's, that's, that's facts. That's, yo, we talk about, we talk about arguably, this level. Yeah, in my opinion, the second greatest hockey player ever. Some people I, say if Mario played a full career that they got him over, but I don't want, I don't want to be the one to say that I still got Wayne. Hey, man. But yeah. you, you, you hear those, 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 you know, the silent, the silent minority. I don't want to call them a silent majority. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, I, I, he, had, he definitely had a skill set for it. 
That's true. But, you know, I like, mean that roster, you know, that Penguins roster had like fucking Yarmir Yager, Tom Barrasso. Yep. Like yo, hearing those two names alone is just crazy enough as it is. Yager, as you know, Yager is one of the most prolific goal scorers of all time. So exactly, yep. also one, also one of the flashiest players I've ever seen. Maybe well, he's one of the guys that I would point to if I said, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody hey. asked me like, yo, who's one guy I should watch? It would have been Yarmir Yager. Exactly. In a practice or a pickup game with your friends uh, on the ice. You get that goal or a nice flashy goal. You you know stopped what you're doing. Uh, yeah, make that stop and then do the salute. Gotta love it. So salute to Yarmir Yager. Hope he's doing well. Whatever he's doing for man. real. Like, like yo, the fact that we got past that team, especially with uh, a dude like Matthew Barnaby on that roster, and that man could fight yeah. bare people. Like the fact <laughs> that we the fact that we even got through that series unscathed was like nothing short of shocking, even for me. Because yeah, it was a really, I just remember it being like kind of an ugly series, man. It yeah. seemed a lot longer than it was. Uh-huh. And um, luckily, we were put out of uh, well, put out of our misery in the sense we were able to win that series on an overtime goal by Gary Volk in, in, in Game Six. Yo, um, that I don't, I don't like this run. It, it was, it was cool, but I don't know. It still does the top ninety three for me. But it was, it was a cool run. And then it they was, ran it into. Was, it was like my first, uh, my first memorized run. Because like yeah. I was super excited to finally see, finally see like some some conference finals hockey. Like obviously right. I'd seen the '94 run, but like I don't remember too too much of it. Like the '99 run was special was like very special for me because like yeah. and the, like it was like yeah it was like the first time the Leafs had actually made the conference final. Like I can actually remember the Leafs making the conference final in my lifetime. Obviously it's the yeah. third, but it was the first one I can genuinely remember. And then of course we ran into. We ran into a city where basically some of the girls are, are, are most aptly named. Now I can't say that anymore, but like <laughs> we ran into, we ran into a hot Buffalo team where like Dominic Hasek, like basically just, basically just rear ended us, man. Like it was just the great, the greatest goaltender of our, of our generation. The Dominic Hasek, man. I just think that era is just so bittersweet. 1999 to maybe I'd like to say 2004 yeah, in which yeah. We had arguably a top five to top 10 player year in and year out in Matt Sundin, a heart and soul center. Mm-hmm. And we surrounded him with guys like Gary Volk or guys like <laughs> Hale and Michael Renberg. The, yeah. His best line mates were Gary Roberts. God love him. No complaints about that. That's a, you know, complimentary guy. Mm-hmm. But then and then Alex McGillney, who I was really excited about, and he was mad talented, but he was always hurt. When he was playing, he was unbelievable. But Doc, then, we had yeah, Jonas Hoagland. We had Steve Thomas. Yeah, but again, lineup. Steve Thomas, tail, tail end of career. Gary Volk, not good. Jonas Hoagland, not good. Like, it's just, I but just that wish. The, that like, was the, kind of the narrative of the, of the least back then, right? Like, they, I, I feel like a lot of the time they packed up the, the, the team, the roster with names rather than guys who were guys that are good. I don't know Absolutely. about that. I mean, like, yo, like, one of our best defensemen was, like, literally playing in that series. You know who I'm talking about, though? Who? Dmitry Yuskevich. The man was a tank. Yeah, Yuskevich was you know, a the dog. The man was a goddamn was tank. Yo, I'm yeah, sorry. He was, he was really He was good. a goddamn but tank during, uh, during, uh, during, uh, during his run with the Leafs. But I'm talking about, like, offensively, man. Like, you're yeah. talking about a team that signed, like, Ron Francis and <laughs> Joe Neuendijk, like, in his older time. Like, like, man, I just wish that, you know, sometimes the team, you know, there, there was a lot of missteps going along the way. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, I feel you. But they, as you, as I said, they ran into the buzzsaw that is Dominic Hasek and the Buffalo Sabres, and the Sabres 
dominated them the whole series. <laughs> like, yeah, they really did. It wasn't even, yeah, it wasn't even a question about, you know, if the Leafs can win this, overcome this. They were dominated, utterly dominated by, um, you know, the, the overall physical mm-hmm. physical play of, of them, led by Mike Pekka mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the Dominic Hasek standing on his head as he does. So, you know, that run ended in the conference finals rather abruptly. Mm-hmm. Next co- uh, next uh, finals run we want to talk about is the 2002 run. Now, Reese, I know this one is near and dear to you, so I'm going to let you take over this one. Yeah, just um, it's just you, you think about the impact, whether or not these were 80, 90 point forwards, the impact that a 40, 50 point heart and soul guy can have on a team and on a city like uh, you started off with the Leafs first, the Islanders, and they're they're a team I hate near and dear to this day. And, and I think about having half the roster, half the lineup of a really good team that year out. And so you're relying on you're you're re- relying on guys like Darcy Tucker, uh, Gary Roberts, the infamous hit on uh, Michael Pekka, uh, and, and just the war it began, a seven game war, and for, at times in that series it didn't look good for the Leafs. The Islanders, a little younger, a little faster, uh, they were exciting, and I didn't know even though they've had their stadium issues, I didn't know when they pack up the arena, it is tough to play. Uh, nope. In the you know the arena, Nassau, I don't Nassau. I don't know what it's called. Nassau, Nassau yeah, Nassau uh, back then uh, in Long Island, and nope. it's just they were led by Michael Pekka, led by um, uh, they had Jason Blake on that team, uh, uh, Alexei Yashin, uh, I believe Alexei Yashin was on that team and not Ottawa, so he'd already left Ottawa, I believe at that point. Yeah. So just really talented team, young, fast, uh, kind of played to the personality of their coach. Pat Quinn is going back and forth. Uh, uh, on, on the bench and it goes seven games and just it feels like every Leafs win was a nail biter and every win that the Islanders had was pretty you know convincing win for them and just to get past that and it was like okay let's just get past the next round get a little more healthy you have no Matt Sundin it doesn't matter you know play for each other you had Gary Roberts an unsung hero this isn't an 80 point 90 point Gary Roberts this is a 50 point but come playoff time I'm going to score a timely goal, whether it be off of a face-off. I'm going to make that big hit, and and if you mess with my guys, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. And it feels like everyone on that team had that mentality. I really liked how a young defensive core just showed out. You had that was Thomas Caberlet's coming out party. You had Brian McCabe kind of establish himself as a okay, I'm a player in this league because I think the Leafs were his second team. Mm-hmm. And then whether or not you. The jury was – Cujo was a, a fantastic NHL goaltender. Uh, I remember the Olympic gold medal where uh, – the Olympics uh, that year where he gave up like six goals versus Sweden. Matt Sundin embarrassed him. Sweden embarrassed him. So they were just like, can Cujo win the big game? He hasn't won the big game his whole career. Uh, he's not clutch, yada, yada. And so wh- what, a, what a playoff run for Cujo just to hold down a very injured team yeah, McGillney's in and out the lineup. You have no Sundin. You got defensemen missing out. Bottom of your lineup, the vets are out of there. And then you have young kids like Alan McCauley come out of nowhere. Um, did Corey Cross score a big goal there? Dumb, uh, dumbass Corey. Or was that the year before? <laughs> that might have been it the year might, before. Yeah. Might have been the year before. But you just had a bunch of uh, – the point was just a bunch of Spare young, parts. unsung heroes. Yeah. <laughs> and then that Ottawa series. Oh, go ahead. So I was about to say about that first round series. You know a series is close when the home team wins every game. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. How close the margins were in that series, despite you know uh, people might have thinking the Leafs were were, were favorites. It definitely mm-hmm. didn't look like it in that series. It was it was close. Yep. Not at all. And I was it not game seven. The Leafs were actually down at a point. Yep. So it just kind of goes to show, like, just wow, like, just it, it it's insane. Um, and then I just I that Ottawa series, wow. You know, the Battle of Ontario, if anything, with the Leafs being injured, I believe McGillney just came back in, I believe, for that series, but still no Sundin. You're like, they got Marion Hosa, they got a Daniel Alfredson, you know, uh, I believe Wade Redden and Zidane Char are starting to establish themselves mm-hmm. on that team. Um, whether you like him or not, he's not, I don't think he's a good goaltender, but uh, was that, uh, it, and it might not have been Laleen, but it was someone else that at that time was a decent goalie that year, but Ottawa always had goaltender questions. But they're like young team, fast team, skilled team. Uh, they, they they might have our number. Uh, Radic Bonk, like they might be deeper, they might be more skilled, and yet the shit didn't matter. And then you remember how the team rallied around the Leafs when Darcy Tucker took that hit from was it Daniel Alfredson, where it almost snapped his neck off. Yep. 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 And it just everyone is going crazy. Darcy Tucker is motionless on the ice. Next thing you know, he's he gets up and he's ready to kill somebody. And it's just like you could feel the energy, not only with the team, but the whole city, the whole province. Like, well, we're, we're in for a battle here. And just to yeah. overcome and get past that. And just right. once they got past Ottawa, it, and, and I don't think the Leafs uh, were beating Ottawa in the regular season. And I don't think they were doing that in any of the uh, years that they were facing Ottawa in the playoffs. It was always, well, Ottawa's going to kick the shit out of us. They're going to run up the score. And then come playoff time, who's daddy? Uh, who, runs, who, runs, who runs the province? Who's your and it, daddy? Who's, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's Toronto. And it's yep. just, it felt so good. So it's like, that was, wow. That was, the, that was the third year in a row that the, the Senators and Maple Leafs had met up in the finals. And three mm-hmm. up, three down, the Maple Leafs won the series again. Yeah. That Handle was... business. <laughs> and again, just going back to, and we'll get to this topic uh, uh, a little after, Curtis Joseph, when it felt like the Leafs were underdogs in both series. And he's just holding them down, giving up a goal a game, it felt like, two at the most. And just someone is going to be a hero tonight. And it's just someone is going to be the most important, most famous person in the city of Toronto for that night or for that week, just based off of how they played. And one game, it might be uh, McGillney. Next game, it might be Darcy Tucker. Some nights, it always felt like it was uh, Gary Roberts. And it's just uh, wow it was just it was amazing and I was a kid and I'm just you go to school the next day and this is around springtime when you can go outside you know it's not cold yeah. in Toronto anymore and it's like you know what kid is playing like this today in, in uh in gym or in recess when you play a pickup puck or uh soccer tennis ball puck whatever we were calling it then so it and then you get Matt Sundin back for Carolina they take the one nothing lead I believe was it Antropov that showed out that game one mm-hmm. and, you, and you got Nick Antropov, Alexei Ponikovsky was in and out the lineup, I believe, at that time as well. And you're just, you're just pumped. You, you feel the energy. You're up one nothing in the Eastern Conference Final. Sundin is back. You had the best goaltender in the league, which what, that's what we felt like. And then they were just losing those overtime games. It just made me feel like we used all that energy up, all that energy up in those first two rounds. And it's just. O- OT loss here in game two, I think. And then another OT loss in game three or um, a one goal loss. And it's just like, don't let it slip. Don't let it slip. And I think they get the big game four win and then lose game five and game six. And it's just, uh, I I believe, was it uh, Martin Jelenas who scored that goal? Uh, when just, 
And the thing is, losing that series, what is the most memorable thing known that whole NHL playoffs? Matt Sundin off the injury. You're down one nothing. You're at home in game six. The captain ties it up with 20 seconds left to go where Thomas Cabrillet just no, – there's nowhere to go. That's how Carolina played it. Super trapped, super condensed. All five guys are like in a circle collapsing a small goaltender, an artist Urbe. And that's how they're – and then the moment that the Leafs, the tire Leafs and young Leafs would make a mistake, they pounced and they got that timely goal, whether that was Rob Brendamore, Jelenas, uh, uh, Bates Battaglia, I believe, was on that team, mm-hmm. uh, our own boy Jeff O'Neill. Um, so it's just they had timely goal scores. Jeff O'Neill, I think, scored 40 that year. And then it's just like you're down one nothing. It's all slipping away from you. And then all of a sudden, Matt Sundin, 20, goal, 20 seconds left, ties it up, and he's barely played the playoffs. And it was just like – Wow, like we we I think we're gonna win this game and we we might do it. That's I'm a young kid staying up late at night watching that. And it was just, and then the most heartbreaking goal I've ever watched against. Um, but still, we you you were so excited for the team. So like you're like I don't care that we didn't win the cup. This is my favorite Leafs team in my whoa, lifetime. Whoa, 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 whoa! I mean, I won't go for, that far. <laughs> for na- yeah, well, a, a lot of people are gonna say '93. <laughs> Uh, a lot in '93. I wish I could share that memory, uh, but I wasn't of existence yet. So my '93 was 2002, and I watched all the highlights of '93 that whole run, and it was amazing. But it's just to be in the moment, living in the city, and feeling that energy uh, as a kid. It was just, it was amazing. And I was just, I was so optimistic going into the next year. Even when we lost Cujo, I was like, Oh, Belfour, bet I love you, Cujo. You're kind of a traitor. You went to our enemy Red Wings. They just won the cup. Yeah, like, screw you. But at the same time, I'm excited. Everyone is healthy. The young guys that got run, they're going to be a year better. Like, well, let's shoot the shits. So. And I think the most frustrating thing about that run in particular was uh, was them losing to Carolina. Because I don't think many people expected Carolina to beat the Leafs the way that they did. Carolina got um, lucky that year, to be honest with you. Because, like, what? They were just riding hot. They were just riding hot scoring. Of course, Archers Urbe was, like, a really great goaltender as well. And just they, I wouldn't even call it they just got lucky. hot goal scoring. They're time they were very timely. Just like timely. they they upsetted the New Jersey Devils, I believe. And then they up yeah, was it the New Jersey Devils that sh- that's what we were thinking. Yeah. If it's not the Leafs, it's gonna be Ottawa, the Islanders, whoever the Leafs gotta go through that early path, and then the Devils. That's what the talk was because I believe the Devils had won they'd been in the cup final against the, the Avalanche the year before, and yeah. the year before that they won the cup. So it's the Devils Conference to lose. And all of a sudden, this um, upstart team. What country is he from? Yeah, I want to know what country he's from uh, uh, in mm-hmm. Europe. Oh yeah, Ur- artist Urbe. Isn't it small like goal? Latvia. Or Some. Like that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think Latvia. Yep. So you have this five nine five eight goalie with a weird mask and a weird style. Oh, a very weird, unorthodox goaltending style that's just standing on his head 30, 40 saves a night, and just go get me a timely goal. And you were getting that from Jeff O'Neill. You were getting that from Rod Brendamore and, and some of these unsung guys. And it's just like, hey, the Leafs, we're healthy now. I know we're tired, but we got the firepower. And whatever they think they got in net, we got Cujo. That's how we were feeling. So it, it was it was tough. It, it hurt, but they had their own Cinderella story to write, you know. Mm-hmm. All right. So I got I got a question for both of you guys. In the 2002 run or the 93 one, which I think general consensus between all of us uh, are the two best runs, mm-hmm. who do you guys believe was a better cold tender? Pot Van in 93 or Curtis Joseph in 02? I'm going to let Reese go first on this one. 
I'll say Cujo, but it's not fair to Potvin because um, I think the game was a little faster and more high scoring in that particular playoff era. Potvin was having great games that were ending 4-3, 5-4, yeah. 6-5, while Cujo were in and, – and maybe a lot of it has to do uh, stylistically with how the Leafs had to play to win. We had yeah. to play a slower pace, grind it out, get in your face, and this is the – clutch hook grab era you know uh, they let you get a little free reign to kind of slow up the goal scoring the pads got a little bigger so those pads were rail thin god bless they're like a couple pillows on my uh, on my bed is what you were using back in the 90s and then in the late 90s early 2000 they beefing up those pads for player safety so yeah. now it's a grind it out hook it clutch grab can opener way of playing and then just when you can get that goal get that goal and that's how the Leafs needed a play to win because your star players are out and and that's just the reality you had Matt Sundin who was a top five scorer year in and year out at that point 80 points a year you, you put him up against anybody he needs six five six six kill kills penalties plays p- number one power play toughest toughest assignment he was he was that dude and he was just coming off of a, I think a bronze medal that year but he shellacked Canada I think he had a hat trick or two goals and yep. an assist yep versus Canada in that Olympics, he was just an absolute monster. So you don't have him, and he's the great equalizer if healthy, and God bless him, he played injured in that conference finals. He came back as early as possible. So um, yeah, I'd say Pot, I'd say, um, I'd say, say Cujo was better just because the era served him better, um, but I think Potvin's the more talented goalie. Yeah. yeah but That's who's fair. The, okay, all right, all right. So you're picking Cujo then in this case? Yeah, just by circumstance. yeah. So what about you, Dave? Um, I'm kind of arguing against that point really quickly here because, like, Potman had to deal with a lot more firepower, especially when it came to Chicago. and The legends. He, That's a great point. He had to deal with Brett Hall in 93 against St. Louis. He also had to deal with, like, the, like, a uh, very young Red Wings core with, um, uh, well. Sergey Federer, yeah, exactly. Steve Eisenman. Thank, thank you. Thank you. I was getting stumped there for all a those guys. Trust me. Um. And then all of a sudden, like he had to run into he had to run into Wayne Gretzky, and the fact that he he stood he stood his ground, especially against um, Los Angeles's like great well great yet lucky offense in 1993, and then of course de- dealing with Vancouver uh, Vancouver's just rapid fire rapid fire shots and just great play in 1994. Like I feel like he kind of benefited from benefited from what he like. Uh, he kind of benefited from a lot more than, say, Curtis Joseph did. Don't get me wrong, Curtis Joseph had some great runs in him, especially in like '93 or sorry, '99 and 2002. And of course, he had some of the other runs as well, like of course in 2000 and 2001 against New Jersey and Ottawa on both separate occasions. But I don't feel as if Cujo really had a chance to like outshine outshine what Potman did over the like what well, during during his time as a Leafs uh, Leafs netminder. So yeah. I feel like Potman was the better goaltender out of those two conference finals runs because at least Potman had an extra game, and that's something that's something I can throw salt in in this situation here. Uh, <laughs> but um, Kudrow really couldn't get the job done in the conference finals, especially against like, especially against uh, especially uh, against guys like Michael Pekka or Bates Battaglia or Mar- Martin Jelena or like. Or just a whole. Yeah, whole... he wasn't. He, yeah, he wasn't facing the same caliber of players. Then that's why. Yeah. Two to one. Sorry, sorry, Reese. Two to one, man. I got, I got Popman on that one. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I won't argue it. And, you know, they were both least goalies. And, like, you know, it's crazy. They aren't my favorite least goalies. My my guy is Eddie Belfort. Mm-hmm. I, just, Eddie I, I love Belfort. I love this. St- Eddie the Eagle is just amazing. But it's just the rich history of Leafs goaltending. And, man, maybe we can compare it to today's era. That's why we're so tough on some of these guys like James Reimer and Freddie Anderson and in between all the garbage goalies we had there. James Reimer um, gets a bad rap. But that's he a, really does. That, I love, but that's, that's a later I love topic. James Reimer. That's a later topic for today. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Quick, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. So quickly uh, getting through this. Now, Sundin versus Gilmore. Ooh. As far as which who is a better leader in each run? Ooh. And let's start, start with you, Dave. That's a tough one because, like, I love both these guys. Um, I'd say – I'd have to say Sundin in that situation because obviously. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like I like I grew up watching Sundin. I also grew up watching Gilmore too, and like Gilmore was like that gritty, that gritty yet like refined leader that the Leafs needed. Uh, obviously, we had Wendell Clark back in the day, and like he he helped the Leafs get over the hump during uh, during those playoff runs. And of course, like without Gilmore, there would have been no ninety. Without Gilmore, like I argue, I can arguably say there would have been no 94 run uh, or sorry, 93 run, excuse me. Um, but I feel like with Sundin, it's like Sundin had that offensive touch that was sorely needed. Uh, he also managed to just, just, I guess, embarrass his fellow Swede and Daniel Alfredson, especially when they were playing. The same, <laughs> like, especially when multiple, multiple years in a row. Exactly. And Matt's was like, flat out the better player uh, in regards to Leaf playoff runs. Like he was scoring more. He was making more plays. He was just taking, he was just taking the hits and he was just, he just kept going and he was the leader that the Leafs needed. And I have to say straight up, like it's, it's Sunday over it's Sunday over Gilmore, but like, it's a very, very fine margin in that situation. We already, we already know Reese is going to pick Matt Sundin for sure, but I'm, I'm, well, I'm going to let you pick it. it. <laughs> well, in terms of leadership, I, I'm i going to say Gilmore off of this, really? not just to do that on purpose, but just because um, I'd like to say that he saw a little more success being a game away from a Stanley Cup Finals. Mm-hmm. That year, you can make an argument that he in 93 uh, specifically, he should have won MVP. It was, it, was, it was down to him and Gretzky. He had a 100-point year. He won selkie that year i think he made all nhl that year and it was just i I think they they were going up against juggernauts the whole way you go up against the red wings you go up against the blues i don't think the they had any chance there they got past both of those and they had a 3-2 lead on wayne gretzky and then the the following year they go right back and they happen to lose to another all-time hall of famer in in pavel burray and then they end up losing uh to the rangers so it just felt like Doug Gilmore elevated his play to a point where they were on the cusp of a Stanley Cup versus while I love Matt Sundin, I love the 02 run, I love the 99 run, and even the 04 run where we go to the second round was a lot of fun and we got smacked by the Flyers. Mm-hmm. It never really felt like the cup is right there, How the same way that you talk to someone that was a fan of that 93-94 Leafs team where it just it felt like it was right there. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, we lost because of the ref. I, I don't have that opinion of we lost to Carolina because they were just better than us. We lost to the Flyers because they were just better than us. And it's not an indication or, or it's not a slight to Matt Sundin and his ability and his ability to elevate play because he did do so. And he you can make an argument that he had less 
But Doug Gilmore was right there, a period away, a goal away from a Stanley Cup. The Leafs haven't been to a Stanley Cup final, much less a victory since 67. And Doug Gilmore is the closest that's been there. So, and, and especially just, uh, you can also look at like the physicality of it all. He's a slight skinny center outcast from Calgary that happens to take on the hardest job in sports, which or hardest job in hockey, which is being the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And you get them to what is almost the pinnacle of success. Yeah, he's almost, he's almost like an underdog success story in the sense where he was disgustingly underrated and people really got the chance to see how good he was throughout that entire season. But even though he was really good, it, it never seemed like he was ever mentioned um, amongst like the elites of that time, despite being an MVP candidate, as as uh, as you mentioned earlier. So mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think Doug Gilmore is, is gets gets that round. Having said that, now we're going to go more into the modern day Maple Leafs, and you know, with this run now, like they 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 made the playoffs in 2017, which was a little bit faster than uh, than the brass probably expected them to. Um, just based off the way that the team was built and um, the expectations for the playoffs. 2017 was, you know, they came in against uh, a powerhouse uh, Washington Capitals team who they were full of veterans and all those things. Do you think, do you think uh, putting Anderson in net in that series was a good decision? And also how do you think their overall performance was in that year with this uh, young core that they currently have? Uh, <laughs> can you repeat that question yeah. one more time? I just want to like honestly get a little yeah, like we were trying to like figure out what that question was, and it's just like, yo, is this an essay? Yeah, it's all good. So the question, so the question was question? the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, the question was uh, the, the, with the Leafs, the Leafs current core, obviously with uh, Matthews, Marner, mm-hmm. and um, uh, Nylander, With that that first year, twenty seventeen, do you think that? How do you think the team did? And was it a good decision to put Anderson in there? Um, that young core was that young core in 2017 was obviously a really strong it was like a really strong group of players, and of course it was like one of those like like it was a very brash lineup of like not only youth but also skill and and just tenacity as well. Of course, you had Marner literally setting up plays left, right, and center. You had Matthews as just an elite goal scorer and a goal scorer, and you had Nylander as well bringing up the rear. And I felt like, I felt like they were strong, but they weren't that strong enough, especially when it came to um, when it came to playing Boston that year. Or sorry, was it Boston? No, it wasn't Boston. Yeah, it was, it was Washington. Excuse me. And you know what? Like you're trying to hold down Alexander Ovechkin and, and the, one of the most powerful, powerfully offensive teams in the Washington Capitals, holding them down to about six games was like really, really tough. And especially for a team that young, exactly that young. like. I feel like Anderson was was the, the smart choice, but had we had I feel like had we had stayed the course with with Reimer and not let him go, I felt like maybe we had an opportunity to actually make some make some noise and do some damage in the um, in the playoffs that year. But of course, uh, you can thank Justin Williams and Braden Holtby's great play for knock, uh, helping us get knocked out in the first round and and what have you so like i feel like they performed pretty well but obviously there was there was room for improvement like they weren't even expected to go to the playoffs that year anyway so 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think and I think that really set the tone for for this young core and it really helped um to get them in the right direction, especially when they were able to make the playoffs in in 2018-2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, even though they lost to Boston two years in a row, you know it's still it's still it's good for them. It's it's growing pains. You know what I mean? Even the, I think I think it hurt more to lose those two years just because it was the Bruins both years in a row, and obviously the Bruins were the perpetrators of our greatest uh, OT loss uh, in pl- Leafs playoff history. I was gonna and say like, like you are we're, we're kind of no, forgetting. No, no, we're, yeah, we're gonna no, we're gonna skip that one, bro. I don't want to talk about it. It's too <laughs> Yo, honestly, like in order, in, like <laughs> what what I do have to say this like in order for us to heal as a franchise. We do have to get over 2013. Never. I don't want to talk about that. No, I, I think we need to. We need to. Like, yo, if you're listening right now, like, oh, honestly, like, I know 2013 brings up a lot of PTSD for a lot of you. And, like, it does for me, too. But, like, in order for us to be – in order for us to heal and literally get over it, at least psychologically as a fan base, we have to talk about it. And, like, that's something that most people really do not seem to understand. It's like, in order for you to get through your problems, you have to discuss them. You have to go through it again. And it's like, you know what? Like, yes, rewatching that entire series over the last little while was, like, painful for me. But it was also from from the outside looking. Painful. <laughs> from, object, object, objectively speaking, I feel like, you know what? This was, like, the Leafs' the greatest test so far. Because, like, I, hey, like, Boston was literally coming off of a Stanley Cup win, like, not even, like, two years prior. And, right. and like, of course, every other team was practically shit that year. I'm, I'm like, right. Ottawa was garbage. Well, the Rangers, it was a shortened season, right? Yeah. So, like, the fact that the Leafs even made the playoffs that year was a bit of a bit of a surprise. Yes, but it's still, it's... And, like, and the guys that kind of held it down mm-hmm. up until we got the young superstars that we have now uh, were the reason Kadri, James Reimer, Phil Kessel, Kessel, shout out Kessel, Jake Gardner, uh, Carl those were the guys. Nazem Kadri. Yeah, and you know, shout out Mikhail Grabowski. It was was a lot of fun to watch. He was a pain in Boston's ass that whole series. Yeah. But again, it it makes me miss someone like Kadri. I just is just young kid, fearless, didn't give a shit that mm-hmm. whole forty two game short and suit short and season. I think forty seven. Yeah. Um, and he was damn near a point per game. Mm-hmm. And then he goes into Boston. He doesn't give a shit what's going on. He's going to hit everyone. Yeah. He's going to score a timely goal. And when he scored that 4-1 goal, I really thought, like, we made it. But at oh the same gosh, time, we needed – bringing up we, bad memories. Yo, we have to talk I think, about this. I'm time. glad. I'm happy. I'm happy all of that happened if it meant we got to the point where we're at right now. And that – because if we went far – and I think I, I've said this to you guys uh, previously. If we had gotten any further than that first-round exit – there's more David Clarkson like moves that summer. That's true. There's oh we're a, we're farther along than we think we should be, and that's the nature of playoff hockey. Ottawa got in trouble with that, where they were a game away, an overtime goal away from being in the Stanley Cup final against Nashville, and they lost to Pittsburgh, and they thought they were further ahead. They started trading all picks away. Yeah. Second round pick, first round pick, all of that type of stuff. Didn't we so end up signing like Christopher Stieg like not even the next season right after. Or no, 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 wait. I, no, wait. Chris, that was the year before. Yeah. We, we, and then we traded him right away. We are like, all right, this isn't working. And then we ended up we, we just ended got, up picking up David Boland, of all people, from the Blackhawks. So, like, we were literally trading away for, like, the guy who basically scored the cup goal for, like, on, on two separate occasions. And, like, we basically blew our opportunity and, to, like, literally. And here's what happens when you give up second-round picks. Yeah. It, like, from past the top 10, like, pick 11, pick 12 to, like, pick 40, pick 50. Yeah. 
they're pretty much the same in regards to the value of what you're going to get per NHL games played. Mm. Sebastian Aho, um, Braden Point, um, you know, Matthias Ekholm, some of these guys that are bona fide top line, top four, top six forwards, even starting goaltenders, are they're drafted by the picks you give up. Yeah. These second round picks, these first round picks. And didn't we lose Brandon Saad just, at one point two uh, out of out of those picks? Yeah, well, yeah, we yeah, we we trade I, we traded up uh, a late first round the Versteeg pick mm-hmm. and a second round pick or a, a yeah to get Tyler Biggs. That's that's how we uh missed out on John Gibson. We got we missed out on uh who else? Ricard Raquel. We missed out on a lot of guys. Um over and over again, just first of all, I, that's why I like Kyle Dubas, money puck. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like to trade up, he likes to trade down. And just your scouting department versus theirs, you'll find value. Sometimes people fall in love with TSN's draft rankings. <laughs> These teams got their own rankings. That's true. And I like the Leafs rankings. So that was smart. It's all about just yeah, you look at draft picks like lottery tickets, and you want to take as many lottery tickets and shots at finding bonafide NHLers as possible. And the Leafs, when they – especially that post-first-round loss to Boston, they're thinking, okay, we were a 10-minute meltdown away from potentially going to the conference finals where anything can happen. Let's go sign David Clarkson for whatever he feels like mm-hmm. it. When there wasn't that big of a market for him. There's two teams involved in them, and they're the two shittiest teams in the league, the Leafs and the Oilers. The two shittiest, dumbest franchises make those type of signings. That's true. So with- and even that, Ed- Edmonton said that's too much. Yeah. Edmonton yeah. was like, you want north of five, north of six? Ah, I will sorry. I will put the 2013, uh, the 2013 first-round loss in perspective to, like, today's terms. It's like, if you're listening to this and you're probably thinking, like, okay – well, what what are you talking about? Because like I don't understand. I don't understand what like Leafs hockey is, and like why does everybody ignore twenty thirteen so much? Put it this way: it's like because it's painful and trash. I understand that, but like let me let me break let me break it down for you all one time. Like that loss was legitimately like uh, it's like the Clippers and the Clippers and the Nuggets of earlier this year, right? Clippers were up three one. And, like, the Nuggets were, like, basically had no chance, right? Of course, you had the offensive offensive juggernaut in the Clippers with, like, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and basically that trash fire of a roster, right? They go up 3-1, and they're, like, literally one win away from going off to the conference finals. And the Leafs were, like, legit in the same situation. Like, the Leafs had won one game, and they were were in a 3-1 hole with Boston. And then all of a sudden, Leafs come back, and they were about ready to just destroy, and I mean completely destroy any notion of like mediocrity with um, with the, with any label that they got, any label that they've been given over the last few years. Uh, then they end up blowing a tire. That's what ended up happening with the Clippers as well, because like the Clippers were up at, at one point during um, during Game Seven against the Nuggets, and then Jamal Murray just basically dummied everybody and just fucking took, mm-hmm. just fucking took it over and. That's exactly what it feels like. If you're a Clippers fan, fuck you. Um, but like, that is exactly what it feels like in this situation. And psychologically speaking, the Leafs haven't really recovered from it. But I feel like which brings me to my which brings me to my next question: <laughs> Having the Leafs uh, with the Leafs losing to Boston in 2013, 2018, 2019, do you think there there is something psychological that they have to overcome to to beat this team? 
Yes. Even I'd though, like even, to compare even us though, to Washington. Though, yeah, even though the 2013 team and the 2018 and 19 teams were completely different. Yeah. But, like, is there something there that that just a mental block between the Leafs and Bruins? Uh, personally, for me, I would say that there really is a psychological problem here because it's like every time we go to Boston, it's like now the Leafs can't just seem to seize up and just don't play in the don't play their style of their style of hockey that they're used to, right? Because like it always seems like Boston has our number every time we literally go into their backyard. Um, I don't know what's going on with like like Leafs the the, the Leafs defense, especially when we roll in the TD Garden or like Leafs offense or the Leafs offensive sets of, like in in like when we play when we can play against like Boston's like checking line or Boston's scoring line or Boston's uh, Boston's third line, right? It's one of those things where it's just like we really have to like try and figure out what the hell's going on and try and like I guess remove that mental block that's literally in within every player's mind. Obviously, with these five new five six new signings that the Leafs had done, like some of these guys know how to know how to I guess work around uh, work around Boston style of play. For example, like Joe Thornton. Joe Thornton, uh, believe it or not, used to actually be a Boston Bruin, and then he got traded to the Sharks. The man's been around for, like, how long? Um, Wayne Simmons. Wayne Simmons used to have battles against the Bruins for, like, numerous amounts of years. Um, who else was there? Jason Spezza. Jason Spezza used to play used to play for the Sens whenever the Sens played the Bruins in most in most years. And, like, he, he used to get around them like nobody's business. Uh, Zach Bogosian. Zach Bogosian, like, was – Zach Bogosian basically played – literally played, like, Bear Conference Finals against uh, – against, um, or sorry, not conference finals. Atlantic division. Wow, I'm so getting tongue-tied. Atlantic division finals against Boston, and they would always either come out on top. It was always uh, either come out on top or just come out like just uh, with what have you, right? And like Bogosian used to play for Buffalo at, at, like pre- in previous years, and like that was that was a problem in itself. Uh, T.J. Brody, T.J. Brody, whenever whenever Calgary played Boston, like. Calgary used to kick Boston's ass most of that more than half the time as well. And those are some like very significant things that like the Leafs really do need in this situation. It's like basically we just got ourselves a whole a whole new pair like a whole new pairing or excuse me, a whole new like a whole new line basically between Simmons, Thornton and oh shit. Simmons, Thornton and Spezza. And we get a, a brand new defensive pairing in TJ Brody and Zach Bogosian right then and there. And I feel like, you know what, like maybe these five pieces are strong enough to actually take out the Bruins. Then again, I'm just speculating here. I could be rambling here. I like, I could be the black Don Cherry. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> no, it's all good. Man. Hopefully not. <laughs> but like, uh, well, minus the racial shit, but hopefully like I need to see this. Like we need to see this team be Boston because it's like, it's basically like the Raptors and LeBron James at this point. Like, Every time we run into LeBron in the playoffs, there's always a mental there's always a mental issue there. And it's like we need to like overcome that significantly. And even though like yes, we have our championship and what have you, it's like there's still that lingering feeling where it's like, Oh, okay, so you guys you guys want a championship, but it's like until you can overcome until you can overcome the demon that is LeBron James, King LeBron James in the NBA, it's like you can't really shake off that moniker. It's the same thing with the Leafs. It's like until you can overcome the big back Boston Bruins, like you will never be able to shake off those playoff demons. And that's something that really needs to just 
really needs to be eliminated. Like maybe this decade we'll finally see a decent, like a decent run between the Leafs and the Bruins, and like the Leafs will finally come out on top. Um, and, and that, that that would be the most cathartic thing for Leaf fans. But only time will tell in this situation. Yeah, yeah. So with the last year, they had an odd, odd playoff um, format with the playing around and everything like that. And the Leafs had a difficult run. They were stumbling into it even before the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. They were stumbling, and then they had to play a playoff run against Columbus. Now, if you had asked most people, you would have thought that the Leafs would have gotten past the Columbus Blue Jackets. That wasn't the case. They lost in five games. John Tortorella completely outcoached Sheldon Keefe. The Leafs uh, blew a three-goal lead, and they lost, and they just they just fell flat against that team. Mm-hmm. Um, credit to the Blue Jackets for implementing a style that was able to neutralize uh, the high-powered offense of the Maple Leafs. But, like, what do you think, like, really went wrong in that series? Reese, you want to field this one for us? Puck just didn't go in. I don't think the Blue Jackets <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just, I, I think the Leafs – Granted, Columbus did a really good job at limiting those high-danger area shot attempts relative to what the Leafs are used to in the regular season, but that's the playoffs. At the end of the day, these guys get paid. We have three four guys, three guys that get paid $10, $11 million a year to be able to score from not only just high danger, but, you know, that medium area, that long rate. Like, we, we have the shooting talent, and the Leafs on paper have the shooting talent that Columbus doesn't. And it doesn't matter. I, you know, it's funny. Um, after the Leafs had uh, tied up the series 1-1, John Tortorella calls out his best player, Pierre-Luc Dubois, says he needs to see more from him. He's not doing enough. This is your franchise centerman. This is a kid you drafted third overall, you invested a lot in, and he's, for the most part, developed real nice as a nice two-way number one center in the mm-hmm. league. But John Tortorella kind of had the gonads a little bit to call out their best player and say, we need more. You know, Austin Matthews is showing you up. You're looking, you know, a little, you know, you're getting outmatched against John Tavares and, and Matthews. And Pierre-Luc Dubois took that as a challenge. And, you know, what did he do? Scores a hat trick. The Leafs are up 3 nothing. Scores a hat trick and the game winner. You know, just little little things like that. It, it, the Leafs need to – it has to kind of come from within. The talent is there. The, the on-ice product, for the most part, I think is there. From an analytic perspective, from or an eye test pr- perspective, I think the Leafs outgenerated shots on uh, Columbus. I think they got to the, the tougher areas of the ice a little mm-hmm. better. It's on you to just bite your teeth down and score. Yeah, and if you're gripping the stick a little too tight, loosen the stick up. I, I think a lot of the narrative, a lot of what's going on, it's almost the Leafs are in their own head. Like, oh, here we are in the first round. Yeah, we're favorites to win, or yeah, we have the talent, but. Teams like Boston, we just can't beat. It's almost like you're psyching yourself out. Yeah, it's I just another I, hockey. I definitely think, yeah, I definitely think they're in their own head a bit, especially with um, the pressure that this young core has been. Uh, you know, they've been given a lot of pressure to produce, and you know, one of the one of the the pitfalls of them being as good as they are as quickly as they became was that the expectate the bar raised. A lot quicker. A little too fast. Ready. Yeah, and they were they were a lot quicker than they were ready for. So like it was almost I wanna almost say that it was almost kind of better that they didn't make the playoffs in twenty seventeen. Obviously that's not the best thing because we all want to see playoff hockey as mm-hmm. much as possible. But for the growth and the development, that that playoff run was really a little too early and it it, it tempered our mm-hmm. expectations 
uh, a little bit higher than than they should have. Yeah, been, they, should have been. they got to they got good too quickly, and that's always a good thing. But remember when we traded Phil Kessel, and it was uh, Lou Lamorello. Uh, you had uh, Dale Hunter and Kyle Dubas, you know, handpicked out by Brendan Shanahan, making that press conference after we made the Kessel trade and whatnot. You're thinking this is a five year rebuild. Right. Similar to what Ottawa is going through currently. We're going right, to do right. this right. We've been cheating since Matt Sundin has left the Leafs. We've been cheating and trying to take the easy way out to get good quickly. We've been doing too many retools at the expense of mortgaging mm-hmm. the future when we're not right. good enough and making Tuka signings Rask. of guys. Yeah, we're giving up Tuka Rask for Raycroft trying to cheat. Um, uh, that doesn't work. Um uh, we we want Bernier, Jonathan Bernier. We, we we'll give up a second round pick, even though you clearly had a good goalie. Um, uh, we'll trade for Phil Kessel, even though it means Tyler Sagan and Dougie Hamilton. How good would Tyler Sagan as your number one center and Dougie Hamilton as your number one D look? So, Brendan Shanahan came with the just the idea that we're gonna do this from scratch by the book, and the guys that are young enough and buy into the system will keep. So the Kadri stuck stuck around. Gardner st- stuck around for a couple extra years. Morgan Riley, of course, young, exciting defenseman. But when you get Austin Matthews, a guy of his caliber, a franchise generation, damn near generational. Depends on how you word it. I call him generational, but then people are going to be like McDavid's generational. Well, McDavid, Crosby, those guys, like they're their own yeah, expectations. At the same time, like there's, yeah, there's they're a different planet. Yeah, but Austin Matthews, how many drafts have there been since Austin Matthews has been drafted? Four. Are any of them on Matthews caliber? No. None. No. None. So when that happens and then you draft the Mitch Marner the year before, and that was a that was a lights out great pick, and they almost didn't make the right pick. They could have taken Dylan Strom, second he's on his second NHL team. They could they could have reached a little bit on some of these other guys. They took Mitch Marner, that's a ninety point forward, ninety point Canadian Toronto kid. Loves the city that you hit on that the year before you hit on William Nylander, another guy where you could have made a, a wrong choice. A lot of people like Jake Vertanen. A lot of people like um, uh, Nick Rich or is it Richie? Nick Richie. Um, and these guys aren't panning out. These are third, fourth line guys. The Leafs got it right. So you're building that nucleus. You have two guys that are damn near NHL ready. And then once you get on Austin Matthews, everything goes out the window. That's a generational. He comes into the league 40 goals right away. Now the, the the clock accelerates a little bit. You have no choice. Now now you got to ad lib a little bit. Okay, we have three bona fide top line talent forwards, a franchise centerman. We got a couple nice pieces on on the back end and and Morgan Riley, and then soon to be uh or Jay, soon to leave John uh or Jake Gardner, excuse me. And then now it's like okay, Freddie Anderson could be a good goaltender. You don't want to have the culture of losing with this young talent that are all NHL ready. You want them to have some success. So we'll get him a goaltender that can steal them one every now and then. Maybe he's not that type of cup winning goalie, like a Vasilevsky and whatnot, but he's a goalie that, you know, you'll win some games. You'll have a good time in the process. And if you make the playoffs, that's a bonus. But Freddie Anderson was good. Mike Babcock, whether we fell out of love with his coaching style and how egotistical he was and how brash he was, is a good coach. He got the most out of a nice well, he's a, roster. He's a great coach, and I think, and I yeah, think, uh, it, it just it just it just didn't work with the team that they had. And, and, you know, yeah, so the much. voice runs out. And eventually, yeah, exactly. they get tired of the voice, and you need fresh ideas, a fresh voice. But right. at that time, you have Austin Matthews running that that top top six center, and you have Kadri to protect him. Kadri's taking all the tough minutes. He's thriving in the top minutes. He's 
doing all his thing. And then they get Matt Martin to protect the kids, which Mm -hmm. whether you like it or not, his hockey ability, when you have a bunch of kids and there's goons and rats in this league, you need a Matt Martin. That's like, all right, Mm -hmm. don't even think about it, you know? And, and, and it, and it served them better in the long run. Now they're grown up that they don't need a Matt Martin anymore. But at the time it was just, everything worked out perfectly. So now we look at it a few years later, it's 2020. Well, these guys are barely still legal to drink. These guys are 22, 23 years old. So yeah, we want to lower the pressure a little bit because their window is going to be long. As long as their Maple Leafs going into their mid twenties, late twenties, and even early thirties, the Leafs have an opportunity here. And this is going to be a long cup window. And so just, you got to, you know, urge patience here. And I think as long as you have your, and then adding the John Tavares thing, just blew the roof off you know the building now it's yeah. we we have jt who's your captain you know what you're getting from him on a night-to-night basis you have matthews you have nylander you have marner now it's about just retooling the supporting pieces and washington had to deal with this themselves pittsburgh has had to deal with it uh western teams you look at the stars themselves the stars didn't give up san jose they made the cup final they were on the western conference finals year after year they changed goalies they changed the bottom uh pairing of their defensemen they added eric carlson they changed the bottom six forwards just to prolong that core group to keep giving them an opportunity to win yeah, and that's, that's all it, you could ask exactly and, and, putting, in, and all, in, putting your position putting your team mm-hmm. in a position to to succeed right yep and all you need is one you get that one cup everything's out the window if, if ovechkin retires tomorrow is anybody going to say anything except he's the greatest goal, goal scorer of all time he won the con smite he's a cup winner that's it no one is gonna. No, to I don't. That, I don't remember him. I feel like Gretzky would take claim to that though. What is that? As a pure goal scorer, I just era adjusted everything. Yeah, we can say Wayne is the greatest player ever. I. It's kind of like the Michael Jordan debate versus LeBron. Yeah, Michael is the goat, but I don't want to talk about Mike. Like that's Wayne. Like everyone knows Wayne's the greatest. Everyone knows yeah. Michael Jordan's the greatest. But like in our like viewpoint yeah, in, of in our lifetime, in yeah. our generation, Alex Ovechkin yeah. is the greatest one. Yeah, and Ovechkin's doing it in a pretty hard era. Like, you know, he's gone to two, three eras. He went post-lockout, rookie of the year, scores 50 goals. And it's just a 50-goal guy in where the NHL has had ebbs and flows with scoring, being down one year, high in another, but mostly pretty down. I look at someone with the physical ability and physical tools and speed and size that Ovechkin has and shooting ability. If you put Ovechkin in the 80s and 90s, huh? Right. It's just that's all I'm gonna say. I'll let you. I'll let you. <laughs> all right. So have one, an imagination. One, one more question for you guys before we gotta go because we're running a little out of time here. But do do you think um, how likely is it? Do you think that the Maple Leafs make a cup run? And I'm gonna open this open up to the Twitter sphere uh, as yeah. well. Like I want you guys to answer out there. I'm gonna put it on our Twitter account. But for you, uh, recent Dave, uh, do you think the Leafs make a cup run with uh, currently? Contested? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I gotta agree with this one because like it's practically cup or bust at this point now. Because like you have the pieces in place and you need to like you need to make a statement a statement cup run. If you don't with this core, it's like okay, who are you getting rid of at this point? Because like a lot of people are shitting on Marner, a lot of people are shitting on Neilander. Uh, a lot of fans are also questioning like, okay, should we have given Tavares the captaincy? Uh, do we keep Matthews at that point? There's so many variables in this situation where like a cup run basically uh, like a, a failed cup run or even like a conference finals run or a lack thereof basically destroys everything. 
Like if we we don't even if we don't make the playoffs, that destroys everything. So it's like, yeah, we've got to make a cup run, and like it it, it has to happen. But it just it depends on how you think. Like it just depends on where the Maple Leaf. This is about Maple Leaf fans and Maple Leaf media. This has I don't think the the front office of the Leafs think the way that we do. That there's a sense of urgency to win a cup or make a be in the final or bust because they know what they have. You have mm-hmm. four immensely gifted players locked up for the foreseeable future. Your window is open. Austin Matthews is arguably a top three to top five forward in the NHL. He's arguably the number one goal scorer in the NHL. Marner, elite playmaker. Nylander, whether they love him or not, scored 30-plus last year, is a good two-way player, exciting to watch, drives play. How many guys have the speed, uh, just agility and edge work on their skates and the hands vision that Nylander do? And that's why everyone is trying to get him for the low. They're, teams call uh, Kyle Dubas for Nylander every day. It's the fans that want to trade him. You think Dubas is in a rush to trade a 70-point well, forward not, on a $6.9 like, $6. million dollar deal? No. The window – Especially at oh, his age. Especially at his age, too. Especially at his age. And they, he loves Toronto, and the, the guys in the locker room love him. The window is open for the foreseeable future. Do I think the Leafs have what it takes on paper to make a cup run? Absolutely. And I buy into Sheldon Keefe's vision because – he emphasizes speed, skill, ability, generating high, ge- high uh, dangerous op- or higher dangerous uh, chances and opportunities up the middle of the ice and around the crease area. So the paint, you know, uh, what they would call it in, in NBA. Th- that's Sheldon Keith Puck. He holds on to the puck. We don't, we don't give up the puck for no reason. We don't dump and chase. We don't play that style. We're going to hold on to the puck. We're going to be possession-based, I mean, and we're going to find our chances where I, they're high ideally, danger. Like, I, I, agree with, just, I agree with you with all of this, right? But, like, this cool – the top – like, these top four – like, the top four fours that we have for the Leafs, and, like, with the addition of Morgan Riley, that, that entire core has been around for, like, almost, like, five, four or five years. And, you know what? Like, at some point, it's like you really got to look at things and, like, how do we retool this lineup? Because it's, like, it's starting to get to the point where you have to ask yourself objective from an objective standpoint. It's, like – what the hell are we doing with this team? Like the like, four four four, our four forwards alone literally have enough firepower to like uh, basically match what Columbus has, or like the worst team in the league, or even like uh, uh, like Detroit or Ottawa or Buffalo or hell like like our top four forwards like literally have enough firepower to like literally dummy literally dummy like maybe even True. Tampa Bay on a regular uh, like on a regular given night, but like we're not playing like the team we're supposed to be playing, and. Mm-hmm. You just got to ask yourself, I, and I saw the stat, the Leafs on ice, five on five shooting percentage, that series, I believe was 2%, two or 3%, yes. which is the lowest in playoff hockey history. So you got to ask yourself how often or how likely are a team with 30 and 40 goal scores likely to do that again. And in the final game of that series, they were down one, nothing pretty much until the empty netter. And they were out shooting the, out shooting and the goal that they gave up was an own goal by Tyson Berry. That's the nature of playoff hockey. You just got to keep, you got to trust that the core that you have and the homework that you do on the core that you have is good enough that you can build a team around them and you just keep giving them chances at it. And that, and if you, you lose, you lose, you look at the context of how you lost. Maybe if you lost five, six, nothing in game six or game seven or get swept, that's one thing. Tampa got swept. They didn't panic. They retooled the rosters always on the lower end, and they said, 
the likelihood of us losing games that we outshoot Columbus 30 to 10 is unlikely or the the style maybe didn't work for this series. We'll try a different style and we'll bank on our talent being better than your talent. That's all you can ask. And I think when it comes to playoff hockey uh, and you look Mm -hmm. at other sports leagues, like look at the English Premier League. They use a 30 or 40 game sample size to determine who's the best team in the whole league. And that's it. The NHL has an 82 game for for, uh, seedings, but then more sometimes in the playoffs, how hockey works, the nature of the sport and how margin Mm -hmm. of error is so low, the best team doesn't win the cup. That just that the nature of the sport and sometimes the best team does not win the series, but ultimately the law of averages, you give your good talent enough opportunities and you don't panic when a Columbus beats you with Tyson Berry's scoring a puck off of his ass. You just keep giving yourself shots. So maybe I, I lean to what you're saying and you can only give these guys so many opportunities and then you retool. That's conventional wisdom and that's probably what's going to happen. But I see that I have four bonafide top line forwards and I finally fixed up my defense where I have five defensemen at the very least I really like and that sixth is going to be either a young young up-and-coming guy with top four potential or an old vet in Bogosian that is at least a good penalty killer I feel very comfortable on paper and if they were to light you know play lights out in the regular season finish first in the Canadian division Mm -hmm. and then lose on some poor shit in the first round or second round it'd be a a vast disappointment, but it wouldn't be to the point where I want to change the right. core at all. Well, like we're wow. and I yeah, went on a we rant. Gotta there, throw this out. <laughs> we gotta throw this no, out. it's all good, man. Like, what do you guys think? Sorry, go like, ahead. Tell, tell your friend them. Yeah, tell your friend them. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I just tweeted it out, man. Yeah, man. As as currently constructed, can the Leaf them make a serious run at the Stanley Cup? Answer us on Twitter. Interact with us. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I love talking with you guys, we're running out of time. But it's been great. Episode four, episode five coming up soon. So you guys make sure you tune into that. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, all that good stuff. Hit us up on Twitter, third I-N-T-T-O. Peace. And as well as Instagram. And we'll see you next time.